Hi everyone, this is Ben Guest and this is Ben Bo's podcast. Today's conversation is with Lance Parkin, an author who, among other things, has written a fantastic biography of Alan Moore called Magic Words, The Extraordinary Life of Alan Moore. Alan Moore is, to my mind, the greatest living author on the planet. He started out writing a number of acclaimed comic books and has gone on to continue to write comic books, but also write two novels, a bunch of fantastic prose pieces, poetry, performances, music, film, everything. Anyway, if you're familiar at all with the worlds of literature or comic books, you know who Alan Moore is. And Lance, as I said, wrote a great biography of Alan Moore. In this conversation, we do talk about Alan Moore, but we also just talk generally about art and the purpose of art, the meaning of art, Lance's experience as a writer, he's written a number of Doctor Who novels, and as a teacher, creative writing teacher, and also I think the most important thing in life, which we both agree on, is to be kind. So, enjoy the conversation. Lance Parkin, thanks for coming on. Really appreciate it. And we were just talking off air about writing, and I thought this would be a great place to start. So why don't you go ahead and continue with with what you were saying? Yeah, I, um, uh, I, I was asked. Ben asked me, um, uh, "What do you use to write? What what do you use?" I, I really think that that it's a question of uh, sitting down, keeping a bottom on the seat, um, and having a, a thing to write with and a thing that records what you're writing, a, a piece of paper will do it and a pen will do it. Um, and, and, and anything beyond that is a bit of a detail, um, really. I, 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 that said, I have just bought myself a new computer and I, I, was, I, 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 just, I designed it from the, um, the, the bottom up. Instead of, I've, I've got a laptop, I've had it for six or seven years. Camera doesn't work, which is something else that happened off air <laughs> that we've just been discussing. Uh, my camera doesn't work anymore on my, on my old laptop, but um, uh, I, I, there's a whole bunch of things I've never used on this laptop. There's a whole bunch of things that I just, I don't game on it. I don't, you know, do anything particularly complicated. I have a big Microsoft Excel sheet. That's where it's the most complicated that thing goes on. So I thought when I'm buying my new computer, what do I actually need to write? Um, and, and, and it's a good typewriter, um, which you don't get on a laptop. Um, and, it, and it's basically just something that runs Word or a, a word processing software that will connect to a printer or will, you know, connect you to a Dropbox in my case, you know, collect it to the cloud or allows you to store it. Um, so I just bought a tablet, um, like a very cheap refurbished Amazon um, uh, Lenovo tablet for $65. And I slapped it on a really, really ridiculously expensive keyboard, a Bluetooth keyboard. <laughs> Um, so I have a I have a, a quirky works like three hundred dollar uh, blue key they're called. They're, they're making, hang on, I can make the sound. I've realised this is a podcast. I can actually hang on. I'll make the sound. See if this works. Yeah, for sure. Oh, there we go. Clicky keyboard. So I, I'm really quite kind of proud of my. Uh, I've just written a whole bunch of nonsense. So that's going to that's going to haunt me later. Um, but a clicky keyboard, and I can sort of sit there clicking, um, and it's got this kind of retro wooden thing going on that, that I, I find very appealing, but um, it's really easy to type with. And, and it's just a, a tablet that runs Word and Dropbox um, and, and, uh, and a couple of other minor things. Um, and I just sit there writing and I, I wrote 2,500 words on Saturday and I was like, this is great. You don't get distracted by Twitter. You don't get distracted by 
you know, um, you, you go onto the internet to find the definition of a word or something, and uh, two hours later you come out and you know everything about, you know, the esophagus and um, and you know how how they connect to the, you know, the, right. the various digestive systems. Um, and and <laughs> that wasn't wasn't what you looked up at all. Um, and you know all sorts of things about dwarf planets, but um, not the thing you were actually. You don't remember the word. You sit sit back at the word document and you go, I was just trying to look up the word of of um, just trying to look at the uh, etymology of the word jubilee. I wasn't trying to right. find out about the esophagus. Right. Um, so so I just sit there and type, and it's great. And and um, obviously I've I've still got ways to get online and check my email and stuff. Um, but but this just lets me write, and it's lovely and portable. And um, so um, for a writer, I think it's great. Um, but it it doesn't matter. You find the thing that allows you to do that, to just sit around and write. Um, I, I taught creative writing classes. I, I live in um, Ohio now. I used to live in um, Yorkshire in England. Um, I taught creative writing classes in both places. And I, and I think the thing that creative writing classes do, they don't teach, I mean, there, there are tricks of the trade and there are things you can do. And, and, and every time someone writes a bit of fiction you can and it doesn't work you can always say just switch to the viewpoint character and nine times out of ten that'll make the the scene much more exciting for some reason so there are a couple of like little tricks like that where you 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 just start the scene a little bit later and you change the viewpoint character and suddenly the the scene will work but um but really i think what a, what a creative writing class does um is it gives people who go to it permission to write um i make people read things out um in the um, in the groups, which is desperately sadistic of me, um, because I, I I wouldn't go to a class where they they made me do that. Um, <laughs> but I make the people who go to the classes do it, um, and they know they're going to have to read something out to the group, and they know that you know it's like any any situation like that, one or two people a week can perhaps skip it and say you know the dog ate it and you know my my kid was sick and all that and get out of it, but but. If, if no one brings anything, then uh, um, it's going to be a short session. <laughs> so everyone brings something. Um, and all I do, I think, is I give them license. They, they can turn around to their family or, or, or you know, who, whoever they're with um, and say, I just need a couple hours to write. Um, and I think, to be honest with you, it's not the family. The family, I mean, most people's family, I think, are quite supportive about, you know, the writing. It's, it's, a, it's one of the least... You know, offensive hobbies you can have really to sit around writing. Um, so um, I think most families are quite supportive. I think it's the writer themselves. They sit there and they go, what a stupid way to make a living. Isn't this ridiculous? I'm moving these people around. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm moving these people that don't exist around a place that doesn't exist. And they're saying things that no human being would ever say and behaving in a way that no human being has ever behaved. Um, and, it, and it is a really ridiculous way to um, well, express yourself, but it's a, a particularly stupid way to make a living. Um, I, I, I think as a professional writer, you're on a whole new level of um, idiocy. Um, it's, it's, it's the worst business plan in the world. Like, I have some really good friends, right? They're, they're, they're great writers. Some of them, I, I really look forward to a lot of them. This is great. I'm being diplomatic because, you know, I, people can always pretend they're in category A and not category B. But I get, I get, um, you know, uh, a lot of people that I don't even know that well coming along and saying, "Would you read this thing? Would you do this thing for me? Would you read this thing?" Um, and 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 I think quite a lot of people who do any kind of like creative stuff, writing stuff, get that. You know, could you read? Could you read this thing? I've got this idea for a thing. You know, 
Um, and the answer is like, oh God, really? Um, it, I, I, mm, um, uh, it's, it's, not, um, it's not the most enticing prospect in the world to have someone drop like a hundred thousand words on you and go, I'd love to have your opinion about this. I'd love it's you to worst. read this. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's just like, and it's just like, oh my God, this is right. But, but like a professional writer, like my job um, is I'm, I'm writing a novel at the moment. You write a hundred thousand words. My job is to make you pay $25 for that. Um, and, and, you know, instead of just dropping it on you and going, well, could you read this when you got a chance? My, my thing is like, and open your wallet and give me $25. And I'll give you a hundred thousand words to read of this book, um, and 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 um, this explains why why no writers are like particularly uh, particularly successful businessmen. I don't think. I think there are a few, but but so why most writers, you know, sit around railing against capitalism because we're not very good at it, really. Because um, that's not really a very good business plan at all. I think I think if you can find, you know, I've got I've got a really good agent, um, and and I think you find someone that understands. Um, contracts and money, and I'm I'm not an idiot when it comes to those things. But I I um, I'm like most writers, I'm a really cheap date. They'll turn around, someone will come around and go, you know, pay us a hundred dollars, and, and we'll do this for you. And I'll go great. Um, and my agent will go, no, they give us like fifteen thousand dollars, please. Um, and I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, okay. I suppose I'm doing the work for them. I should probably get the money rather than yeah. I see. I see how that works. Um, so. Um, Having, having a good agent is, is, is great. Uh, Alan Moore has just got an agent for the first time. So I, I don't want to you know, uh, uh, jump the gun a little bit, but, um, but Alan Moore just got a literary agent and he's just immediately signed with Bloomsbury Publishing and he's going to have five novels and a short story, or four novels and a short story collection published. And it's just like, it, is, it feels like, you know, great. So he, someone else can sort out the business side of things and um, uh, uh, he, can, he can sort of concentrate on the writing. Um, but yeah, but, it, but I think, if you want to be a writer, you write and you, you, you sit down and you give yourself time and you give yourself permission. And the beautiful thing about a writing career is if you're really bad at it and unsuccessful, no one, no one but you will ever know um, because you, you're not doing it publicly. It's not even like you're, you're you know, becoming a dancer or a musician or something. If you, if you, if you, you know, sit on a stage and, and perform and you're terrible at it, then, then lots of people will see you. But if you, if you, um, you write something and it doesn't work, um, you'll probably throw it away, and if you won't, it'll get thrown away very quickly by someone else. And you go off and do something else. Um, you write something else, and you, you keep going until you get it. Um, so, um, and, and and I think I, I drew the distinction. I, I said there's a difference between um, uh, uh, just writing for, uh, no, sorry, not just by writing for uh, self-expression um, and writing for professionally and for money. Um, I actually think the same sensible thing to do is to do it self-expression. For, for, um, I, I think every human being has a, a creative side that we um, we really downplay. You know, we, we look at what we value in life and we go, well, we value, um, you know, careers and money and family and, um, you know, possessions and, and um, uh, you know, um, anything else that drives us, you know, um, you know, I want to travel, sex, and, you, know, all, you know, whatever, whatever it is. The one thing that always gets left off is, is creativity. We, we all have a creative side. We all have things that have ha only happened to us. And we all have um, sort of um, an angle and take on the, on the world. Um, um, and, and everyone, um, you know, 
should take time to express themselves in some way, poetry or painting or you know dance or music or um, uh, any any sort of any sort of creative thing you can think of. Um, and it doesn't have to be professional standard. It just it just makes you happy. It makes you good. It makes you sort of go, this is me. This is this is me putting out an object that kind of gets what's what's up here in my brain um, out into the world. Um, it just in some way. Um, and I and I think it's an incredible. It's a sort of thing that people get very sort of people get pent up. I think people get kind of frustrated that people don't connect with them and they don't sort of know them and they don't kind of thing. And I think and I think. Um, uh, I, I'm thinking about it, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of making this up as I go along, but I, th I think if you look at what um, a lot of the social media does, social media provides um, a, a, a very, very sort of direct way for people to communicate with each other um, and share their interests and, and, and share their, um, you know, their, their take and their agenda and their politics and their, but also just their thoughts about what's what's going on. And then, and then you get into the realms of, um, uh, you know, places like Etsy and, and places like that, where where you're you're actually making things and and, and putting them out into the world. Um, and, and obviously, the worlds of sort of fan fiction and everything like that, and fan art and things like that. Um, it, it's it's never been easier to be expressive. It's never been easier to sort of get out there and and sort of um, publish these things. And uh, um, I suppose we'd call it publish in the old days, but you know, get them get them public. Um, and, I, and I think it's just extraordinarily healthy to do that. Yeah, yeah, I agree 100%. Lance. I think creating art, and either you said this explicitly, or certainly alluded to this, it's part of the human experience. Mm. And I, I, I think art is a way that we connect. You know, I'm trying to con you're you're writing a book, or I'm directing a film or painting or whatever it is. Ultimately, I think one of the things that we're trying to do is create an emotional response in someone else, someone that we've never met, someone who may not even have been alive when we did this thing. I think, I think that's a very weird paradox at the, at the heart of it. Um, and I think all of the great, um, I don't know if it's just like the cult artists or, or whether it's all um, art. The paradox at the heart of it is that, is that we're trying to convey our sort of unique um, experience um, and our sort of particular place in the world. And by doing that, you just find that there are so many people um, who think like you do, or who you connect with in some way. I mean, I don't mean like identically, you know, cloned, stamped out people. You say something, and and a thousand, and you think it's only me that thinks this, or it's only me that's ever kind of like felt this way, or um, put these two things together, or whatever it is. And 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 you just connect with people straight away. And and, and the internet again. I mean, it allows you to. Um, take these very sort of niche, I think, and specialist uh, beliefs and interests and things, and, and immediately you can find hundreds of people around the world that uh, are interested. Um, but I think that's that's always been the function of art. You you, you create something, and you, you look at this picture that you've painted, and you go, it's odd. It's not very commercial. I'm not sure that anyone's actually going to like it. And then people look at it and go, oh my god, this is the most amazing painting I've ever seen. This is this speaks to me. This is something that you have really captured what it's like to, you know, be in that sort of situation. Um, and of course, the, the, that's weird enough that you're sort of in this paradox of doing this unique thing that you find is not so unique. Um, the absolute 
bizarre bit is where people start looking at this sort of quite complex thing you've created. Um, and they start seeing things that you've not um, intentionally put in there or not, not put in there at all, as far as, you, as you're aware. Uh, as far as you're concerned, these things are not in there, but they see, they start making connections. It connects to something in their brain and starts sparking things off in there. Um, sparking up in things in their mind and that's the kind of process that is just quite um just very very rewarding um i i, I started out um 25 years ago um writing as, Who, a, as a four-year-old child prodigy as a four-year-old child prodigy that's right um uh, i was i was four years old i started writing doctor who books um and um i i was very very lucky that these these were doctor who books um I didn't feel lucky as a Doctor Who fan, but these were, these were Doctor Who books published at a time when Doctor Who wasn't on TV. Um, the audience for the Doctor Who books was um, basically me. Um, people, I was I was twenty three. Um, I was twenty three when it was first, when I when I when I, came, when I uh, submitted my first Doctor Who book. Um, and there were a whole bunch of us that we were at university, or we just left university, or just about to go to university. Um, um, or you know, or, or that age, we, we you know, we, we were early twenties. Um, and we had the time, basically, I think, to read all these Doctor Who books that were out. Um, but, but the other thing was that you had to be kind of quite a dedicated Doctor Who fan to do that. You had to go and seek out these books and, and read, read a novel a month um, in this sort of very weird book club that we had going. Um, and um, it, I, I, started out, I, I started writing these things. Um, it's 25 years ago since my first one. I, I still get emails pretty much every... Um, I'm, I'm tempted to say every day, but certainly like every couple of days, I'll get an email from someone saying, I love this book that is 20 years old now, or, or you know, 25 years old, um, or, or making a connection or saying, is this a reference to this? Or, you know, um, I, I get people now sort of asking if they can use characters from, you know, some of the books, and if I've created them, they can, and, and I'm flattered to be honest, I'm very, very happy for them to do it. Um, it's always nice when they ask permission, but uh, I'm not going to go after them too hard. <laughs> um, but no, it's, it's nice to, to do this, that you've inspired these people from like, you know, they've not all read them like at the time, but, but a lot of people have, and they remember details from books, lines from books that you wrote 20, 25 years ago. And, and you just think, this is exactly what every novelist dreams of. I, 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 there, are, there are Doctor Who writers who write, um, you know, write much more, you know, mainstream serious fiction. And, and they love the Doctor Who books because they, they dream of um, 20 years time, someone remembering lines from one of the novels. It's, it's, there, there are many, many extremely well-regarded books of, my, just all, my first one came out in 1996, that's why I'm saying it. You look at some of the books of 1996, so very, very, very good novels published in 1996. Some of them ones that won awards and are renowned and, Got adapted into movies and you know are huge and you know were got everyone literary galas and and, and happiness. Um, you wouldn't remember them. They're, they're, they're probably sat on your shelf somewhere or or you'll find them in a secondhand shop. But no one's no one's talking about them. No one's kind of relating them to other things that are going on. Um, and these are huge books. You know, um, just sort of vanish um, out of print and vanish and um, and and the Doctor Who books endure in a way that is um, uh, not what we were planning at the time <laughs> by any means, uh, um, but it's very flattering and, and, and I look at those books now and they, you know, I, I look at them every so often and there is a, 
a huge energy to them and a huge kind of like um not not just my, i'm talking about the whole range a whole sort of ambition to them that is just very very kind of like appealing and it's it's great that's fantastic because again we're talking time right 25 years and yet those words <laughs> that 24 year old did you say 24 yeah. 23, 23? I, I was i was 23 when i the, the way you did with the virgin books i was incredibly lucky back in the day you sent away you put stamps in an envelope and sent them to virgin books in london um so you copied the address out from the um from the, the front of the book and you, you you wrote in you wrote a little handwritten note or something going please send me the writer's guide for uh the doctor who books and you had to put the stamp on on the envelope and send the envelope with the your home address on it back to the stamp address envelope um, and they would put put it in the post and you get it back the next you know i got it back like three days later um and uh and it was guidelines writer's guidelines and they were they were like 10 pages and they just said we're not looking for this we're definitely not looking for this. We can't use the Daleks in these. We don't have the rights. We, we, we don't think we have the rights for the Daleks. So please don't submit Dalek books. Um, these are the rules. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. You know, and there weren't a huge number of rules, and they were all very, very sensible. But they were basically, it was basically saying, look, we know what you're going to, you, we know what your first idea is, and we just can't use it. So I read these very, very carefully, and I, I, I sort of looked at the formatting requirements and things like that, what they're actually asking for. And they wanted three, three sample chapters and a, a, a chapter breakdown, so basically a summary of what would happen in the rest of the book. Um, uh, uh, and what I did is I just, um, I read the range, so I knew what, what sort of books had been published already. And, and um, I, I wrote down a, um, I wrote down my idea and I, I sort of developed it into a storyline and I, I wrote my three chapters and I sent it in. Um, and I was 23 when I did that. Um, and then it sat in a pile for a year, um, on literally on top of a filing cabinet with um with like the they get 500 a year. So I get I guess like two a day showed up. Um so so the, the pile gets two submissions higher every day. Um and they they're publishing um I can't remember exactly what it was, but I think it was like two a month at that point. Um it, it, there were one a month and then they went two a month. So they're publishing 24. 500 unsolicited submissions, and then obviously everyone that had had one published, um, they were submitting follow-up ideas as well. So call it sort of six or 700 potential books for 24 slots. I, I, and I was the luckiest guy in the world, and I didn't realize it at the time, um, but, it, but I got a phone call um, from the editor um, saying, we're interested in this book, could you make some changes? And I, I, this was just, um, I was 24, it was uh, early December, I think, 94, I guess. Yeah, uh, something like that. Um, uh, and, um, and 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 I and I had my book commissioned. Um, and and I I I spent the next uh, I spent the next 25 years, frankly. I spent the whole time since thinking that's what publishing is like. That you write down an idea for a book and um, and then what happens is is an editor goes, You're amazing, we're going to commission this book. Um, and, 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 and the secret of Virgin Success is that we were, all of the writers were sort of young, and the editors, to be honest with you, I mean, um, Rebecca, who was the editor, was only a couple of years older than me. Um, uh, they, they uh, everyone was sort of young and hungry and, and a huge investor, Doctor Who fan and all things like that. Um, but I think the real secret of success is, is that we were incredibly cheap because we were like 24 years old and um, 
you know, they were going to publish a Doctor Who book from us. And, and so we got, it didn't cost them very much money. <laughs> so they weren't going to lose a huge amount of money if, uh, uh, if it didn't work out. Um, so I think that was the secret. I think if they'd given us like million dollar advances, it might Yeah, but still, I mean, you're, you're competing over. against 599 oh. other books. So, oh, God, so no. it is quality. And, and, no, and I and I, I I went to Virgin Books in London the first time after being commissioned for like a meeting with the editor, and they took me to lunch and talked about other ideas I had. And again, I thought this is what publishing was like. <laughs> I thought publishing was like this. I thought they they loved you, and the editors would sit you down and give you a meal and um, say, "What are the three books would you like to have published with us?" Um, and 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 uh, yeah, that did, I, I keep still thinking that's what, how publishing works as well. Still isn't how publishing works. Um, uh, but um, no, it, it, it was uh, it, it was just yeah. It, it, they they gave me um, copies of the upcoming books, um, and 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 I don't know how familiar I was with Doctor Who books, but a lot, I, I guess some of the people who read it, uh, listening to this will will know this. Um, they gave me a copy of Human Nature by Paul Cornell, which got adapted by TV and is probably like um, the best Doctor Who story ever written. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Sergeant Pepper. It's even though revolt, you know, revolt, Sergeant Pepper, whatever. It's 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 whatever the best Beatles album, whatever your favorite Beatles album is, it's that it's that Doctor Who book. Um uh and they gave me the also people by Ben Aronovich, who is now uh was then the the writer of Remembrance of the Daleks, which was like the best Doctor Who story of like the last few years of Doctor Who, and is now one of the best-selling authors in in Britain. Um and then they gave me a uh uh uh, a book by Kate Orman, who is a, has been a huge friend. She was actually a huge friend before, um, before I got commissioned for this book. But but um, huge friend, amazing writer, future Hugo winner. Kate write that book, um, uh, and uh, books by Andrew Cartmel and and um, um, Andy Lane, and, and I'm just they, they were just like they basically gave me like the half dozen best Doctor Who books ever written <laughs> in advance and then said um uh we want we want you to write something that will fit in this range i was just reading them on the train back going back home going i can't do this <laughs> this is the kind of raising the bar for me um but um it's but it's, 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 like, it's like if someone gives you shakespeare and Watchmen oh, I, and, I, and oh, yeah. you know some know, other some other classic and like just do it like this i again again i think and i think um Talking about the creative writing classes, I, I think that um, pe uh, people trying to write, starting writing, or or any, you know what? I, I talk about people starting out writing. I think all writers always have this all the time. You look at your favorite book by your favorite author in the in the, in published form, and you go, "I can't do this." And it's like, "No, you can't." And if you look at your favorite author, and I'm, whatever whatever your name happens to be, um. What you are seeing when you see a published book is you are seeing the best idea. Um, and in an ideal world, it has got the best editor that can possibly be applied to it. Um, and that editor's job is to make that book as close to the author's original vision as can possibly be done, improve on things, suggest things. The author is constantly kind of like kicking against that and trying to make their book better and better and better and better. You're seeing at the end of an incredible you know, probably two or three year professional process of like refining and editing and controlling and cutting and, and you know, um, 
sending it to all your sort of author pals to throw in their ideas and, and, and all that kind of thing. Um, and it's, um, it is just simply not the same thing as you sitting in your room doing your first draft. Um, and the thing is, it wasn't for that author either. Um, you know, the, the, you read the first books by your favorite author. That's always a little bit um, telling, I think. Um, they tend to be really good because you tend to get your first book tends to be really good because you've got a lot of energy and you've got a lot of ideas. Um, and and, it, and it, it was something about that book impressed um, a commissioning editor enough to commission you in the first place. So, so there's going to be something to it. And you could probably read the first few pages of that book and go, I see exactly why this book got published. I see exactly what the appeal was. But if you keep reading, you'll see that there's bits that don't quite work. You'll see that there's a character that doesn't really do anything and a plot that doesn't quite doesn't quite add up. And they've not quite got there yet. That there's still a um, uh, there's still work needs doing. And that again is 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 the that isn't the first thing they ever wrote. Probably that is the 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 fifteenth idea they had and the third full book that they wrote that's then been edited, that's then been published, and that it's still a little rough. Um, and all you can do is like any any sort of process then is is just keep keep working at it, keep sort of be relentlessly kind of like honest with yourself, relentlessly kind of um, uh, you've got to find that edge of like you've got to be arrogant to be an author. You've got to be kind of like, you know, you want to read my words. I've got really exciting things to tell you. I've got I've got this, you know, I've got this vision that you are going to want to share with me. Um, uh, but at the same time, you've also got to be sitting there going, I'm useless, I'm terrible, this is, this is rubbish, every single word needs to go, if I take that out, is there anything left, you know, have I really got away with this little sort of trick that I'm playing here, and you know, um, and what, what you start doing, I, I, every author does this, or, um, or at least I do, and I'm going to pretend every author does it, every, every author um, writes something and they send it into their editor, um, thinking I'm going to get away with it. I'm going to get away with it. I have, um, I, you just sort of say, and later, um, and, and what you're doing is you're missing out the bit where, you know, all the, you know, the tricky stuff happens. Something's happening. You can't quite get out of it. So later, so, and you just cut, cut away from it, distract, come back to it. Editors aren't dumb. Editors will spot these things. Editors will go, no, 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 you can't, you can't go from like they're having this huge argument to everything's fine without any kind of like the drama is in what you do next. Um, I used to work on a TV soap opera and 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 um, the writers there had got into this habit that I think a lot of soap opera, a lot of a lot of writers, and not again, I'm not blaming them as, as a group or individual, but a lot of writers get into this thing where you have an argument in a story, people are shouting at each other and you know things like that. Um, and and um, one of them storms out. I'm leaving, slam the door. Um, and that happens in real life. Obviously, that happens in real life. But what usually happens in real life is no, you're living together. They've someone's got to make the dinner. What happens next is you sit on the sofa <laughs> next to each other, having just done this argument. Um, or, you know, you you've, you know, you're 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 arguing at work, but you've still got work to do. You've got, you know, you've got you can't just sort of like walk out of these situations. So the drama, a lot of the time, is like, how do you get from this like intense kind of like anger to a kind of back to a kind of like functional baseline? So we we, we very quickly we just sort of banned them from. I, I was a storyliner. I was one of a team of 
extremely talented storyliners. There were some extremely talented writers on there. Um, so I'm, I'm not trying to pretend that I was also the driving force of this. But we just had a couple of rules where we where we, we we were doing the storylines. We would we would never storyline a, a scene where people would storm out because it's kind of dramatic and it's a great way to end a scene and the door slams and you can sort of go oh, but it's just not very dramatic. So you just you, you want to hold them there. You want to do this kind of like awkward um, pause. You want to leave it a little bit too long so that you can see that a lot of the time this kind of melodrama that you get into, you know, that we all get into in real life, but but but. You certainly get into in, in soap operas, you get into in fiction. Um, the melodrama, you just kind of hold it a little bit too long. And it, you realize it just becomes um, very uncomfortable or very kind of scary or very kind of like, um, again, kind of a little bit weird, you know, a little bit eerie um, that, um, uh, that these people that hate each other have to sort of share a, share a space, you know, have to share a building, have to share a, a house, have to share a, a workplace. Um, and that's just much more interesting to write about than, than, you know, storm, 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 I'm going to leave you melodrama, melodrama. And I, and I, think, and I think that's one of the things that um, shifted a lot in the last sort of 25 years in, in a lot of genre writing is that we are, we are, we've been sort of dragged kicking and screaming into becoming kind of emotionally literate in a way that uh, <laughs> we weren't back in the, back in the day. I think, I think, um, I think generally speaking, fiction is actually uh, novels and, and TV, TV especially actually, um, TV and movies, they're, they're much more kind of emotionally driven now, emotionally literate kind of, it's, a, it's, a, it's about how, how you feel, it's about how you do, it's not quite so plot driven, it's not quite so plot mechanical. Um, um, and, that, and, and the satisfying stuff, I think, again, there's a lot of stuff around and I'm sure there's uh, people have their own preferences, and people can can find what they what they prefer. Um, but but the thing that I'm finding sort of very satisfying is looking at um, particularly genre stuff. Just because I, I I I like my I like my science fiction and I like my superheroes or whatever. But the stuff that um, that takes that sort of genre stuff and and instead of sort of subverting the doing that sort of postmodern thing, um, like subverting the genre and and sort of going you know. What if Batman was real? Um, instead of looking at it in terms like the logistics of what if Batman was real, you know, who changes the tires on the Batmobile or whatever, you you look at the the, the emotional logistics of it. You look sort of go well, what sort of what would it actually be like to not not even necessarily be Batman? I think I think you know, I, I know I know he says he's sort of driven by rage and revenge, but it's got to be pretty cool to be Batman. But but the but the, the people around him are affected by it. And the city around him is affected by it. So how how does how does it affect what sort of people would live there and what, what, what would it do? Is this sort of much more, what would, what would it like to be, what would it be like to live in a city with Batman? Is, is, um, what would it be like where you have a, a, a particular type of, uh, and, and some of these questions, they, they, they sound, they're vaguely ludicrous, but you can start to sort of get to like an emotional truth um, from them. You know, you can, you can get to a, um, I, I think we, 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 we are, I, I think what it is, is, is the things that we're facing, sorry, this is going to be, um, this is a long answer. Um, I think the things that we're facing in like the 21st century now, um, when, when you look at what our challenges are now, um, I, th I think when Batman's created, to, to pick an example, um, the, the threat seems to be like gangsters and prohibition, meaning that there's 
organized crime is selling alcohol and and and, and then obviously you've got like fascism in europe and and uh, and these are all kind of like you know things that it, it's fair enough that a good guy would want to kind of like look at um but but they're, they're quite black and white social issues you know there's a good guy and a bad guy and there's a harm being done and there's a there's someone to punch i think is the, is, is the, you, you can sort out gangsters by punching them or or you can be a really good gangster by punching people i guess um and 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 we should always be punching fascists so you know that's good um but when you look at the problems of the 21st century you can't really punch climate change and you can't really punch kind of austerity and you can't really kind of punch like systemic racism or um you know gender inequality or or you know transphobia or or, or whatever um you know whatever is issue it is it's like you can't sort of have like a you can try but you can't really have a, a you know a, a a superhero you can have you can have superheroes that represent uh you know different you know different groups and groups that have not traditionally been uh, uh well served by the genre they are always been sort of like these minority superheroes but they've always sort of had their place you know there's always been like you know the, the, the super team has always been like a bunch of white guys and then like there's one girl and one black guy and 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 you know um someone with some kind of um you know uh some sort of disability that is not actually a disability it actually gives them superpowers which has always seemed a bit weird but i i guess um and and and, and so you have this sort of representation but you, you don't um it's not really tackling the problem it's not it's not explaining it's, it's not sort of doing it but, but but i think part of the problem is it's not really a practical solution um for an adult in the 21st century um to sort of dress as a bat and fight crime it's not really kind of like a um it's not really a sort of symmetrical and um appropriate response um to have this sort of one guy that's sort of heroic and does the right thing and, and you very quickly get into the realm of like you look at the real life billionaires and you look at the real life um individuals who think they can solve the problem um and 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 pretty much to the first approximation everyone who is an individual that stands up and go i will use my great wealth to solve this problem is actually probably either caused the problem in the first place or wants to make the problem worse because you know that's how they made the money um or, or uh, doesn't understand the problem or doesn't know the problem i think i think we all have this kind of like um uh i i, I am shortly to be i am 49 i'm shortly to be a 50 year old white guy um i i am able-bodied and privately educated and extraordinarily privileged i was in a position where i could write a novel at 23 because i was at university and i could just sort of you know had the time to do it while i was also doing my university studies you know it was, it was um i had the time and space to do it I, i've always been in a position where i have not had to think about these things and i have not had to worry about them and and and, and i have I said that I said I was 23 and I sat down with these editors at a, at a, at a publishers. At no point did I sit there going, I don't deserve to be here. At no point did I sit down and go, you know what? Wow, what am I doing at this table? You know, what am I doing? My, I, I, I sat down and I go, I've got to be as good as these guys. You know, <laughs> I, 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 and, and that itself is a massive kind of like, God, what an arrogant git I am, you know, that I can do that. Um, and, and, and I think, um, I, I think people like me uh, 
I, I'm not presuming to speak for anyone else. Me. Okay, I think I am in a position where I need to be. Okay, this is extremely arrogant because I've just spoken nonstop for like half an hour now, but um, <laughs> more than half an hour. Um, I need to sit back and listen. I need to kind of listen to these other perspectives. I need to believe other people when they um, um, when they say things. Um, and and, and you, you, as, as a guy who um, sees the world in, in guy ways, just, just talking to just like any woman um, about their everyday lived experience, just like successful, happy, <laughs> well-balanced, in their way privileged women, any woman, um, and you just go, this is not the world. You're literally living in a different planet. You're living in this, um, the, the Me Too stuff has just sort of like, um, uh, it, it's made me examine my own, you know, behavior, but it's also made me realize that, that like, um, that it, it's like, uh, the, the, I've used this analogy before. Um, it is like um, women can see a color that men can't. You know, women women can see the um, the 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 the, uh, the sexual violence. They can see the 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 the, the predatory looks. So they can see the way that they are being assessed by men as 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 sort of sex objects and as as visual. You know, for to, to, to being for men. Um, and and they are catcalled. You know. Women are catcalled in the street the whole time, and I and I, I I've stood next to women being catcalled and not heard it, um, <laughs> and, and they were like, "Did you not hear that?" And I was like, "No," and I just thought it was some guy on the other side of the street saying a thing. Um, um, and 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 once you can see that, you know, once you start to sort of see like little misty versions of that color, you sort of realize that this color is is just everywhere that everything is painted in this and that everything is like um doing that and you, you talk to any woman and 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 the, the things that happen things that have happened to women in college or things that have happened to women like at work and things that happen to women like in the street that oh my god if it happened to me i'd have written four books about it and you'd never hear the end of it i'd be i'd be a campaigning non-stop i'd have dedicated my life to ending this injustice because it happened to me once and it's just something that has happened to like every woman all the time to the point where they go, well, it's just normal. It's just so many women just sort of go, well, this is normal. This is how it is. This is, I don't think that counts as. And you go, oh, that counts as, oh, my God, that counts as, that's a horror story. <laughs> you're describing a horror story and you're just, you know, which I think is um, uh, an incredibly important thing to be writing about right now, and it is incredibly important thing. I want to see one of the things that's been incredibly gratifying as a science fiction fan is that that whatever it was now five or six years ago, a whole bunch of like men's rights activists and and, and um, uh, misogynists generally just sort of came in and tried to sort of take over the Hugo Awards and science fiction novels and and, and and the whole sort of science fiction genre and they were basically saying science fiction is for guys and we don't want any of this kind of stuff about women we don't want you know women women can't fight so why are we why are we reading stories about lady astronauts who are good at sword fighting and it's just sort of like um and there's the sort of backlash against this sort of um uh, uh 
basic representation that's going on in science fiction. And it wasn't even particularly radical. It was just like having a woman on the team or something like that. Um, and, and the incredibly gratifying thing is like within two years, um, there'd been this massive backlash against that. Um, and now I, I just read Arcady Martin, Martin's um, uh, Desol uh, Desolation, uh, no. A Desolation Called Peace, um, a sequel to a memory called Empire, which is, um, you know, probably my favorite science fiction book of the last few years. And, uh, and this is just one of the books that is written by uh, science fiction books, absolute rock solid genre books, perfectly kind of like composed genre science fiction that is also written by women. Many of them have a, a, a queer perspective or, or, or they're from a, a, a person of color or uh, some sort of perspective that just isn't middle-aged white guys. Um, and it's just brought a whole breath of fresh air to the whole um, the whole sector, the whole genre. Um, and you can suddenly read these things where they're writing about galactic empires, but but not from the emperor's point of view. You know, we're not we're no longer the captain of the flagship of the empire. Um, or if we are, we realize that we're uh, compromised. We realize that we are, uh, you know, uh, that's not necessarily a good thing to be the captain of a battleship in a heading towards a planet. Um, um, and it's just sort of that 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 sort of like author-led um, repositioning. It's not even it's, it's, the joke is if you look at the the actual sort of things that are done, it's not like a massive re-radical. They're not completely smashing everything down and sort of having nothing, but it is using the rules of the game in a much more, using the rules of the genre game, the writing technique, just just everything in it, just a, a way that just is sort of socially, culturally, politically, emotionally literate um, and, and just extraordinarily refreshing. And I, I sort of, you know, um, it's, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, one of the things that I, I like about that, of course I agree, with everything you've said, we, we we just had very little interaction by email before this interview, and yeah. just talked for a minute before we started. But I just um, I'm agreeing with everything <laughs> you're saying. So this is uh this is just an enjoyable way to spend the the, the morning. <laughs> exactly. Um, one of the things, and I've made this point, and I've heard this point made. Um, so you know. You're a white man, assuming you grew up in England. I'm a white man who grew up in the U.S. And we can write about what it's like to be part of the majority population of our respective societies. Um, if we just use the U.S. and we use um, and we talk about black people being black in the US. A black person in the US not only almost certainly knows and has a deep understanding of his or her own culture, but to survive, you have to understand the majority culture in the majority society. So in addition to having diverse viewpoints and a diverse array of art created by a diverse array of creators, if you're in the minority in any society, you almost certainly understand that society better than someone who's in the majority. 
Yeah, I, I think I think yeah, I think I think that's probably true. I, I think um, um, I think that there's certainly um, a long tradition of the outsider in art um, uh, and and huge topic conversation. But I think yeah, if you are approaching it, if you have this mainstream, there's this sort of construct called the mainstream culture, and you are even slightly different. But if you are very different, if you you know if, if you if you don't exactly conform to that. You can see the cracks. You can see the the sort of way. You can see the things. Um, and and I think we. Uh, I don't want to. Make, it's it's very. I, and and, and it's, it's, it's not. Just, very, sorry, sorry to interrupt, Lance. It's not only yeah, that, but it's you know again if we're if if we're using black and white as an example, it's not only that you see the cracks, but in some ways I think you almost have to understand, say in this example, white culture better. Oh yeah. Than yeah. most white people do. Oh no, I, I, and I think just at a at a basic, if, if it's a game, um, if it's a game, then um, I'm I'm risking a lot less. If I make the wrong move, it probably won't cost me too much. If I I, I, I I'm, I've, I've lived in America for I think twelve years now. Uh, two or three months after I moved to America, um, I was stopped by the police because I had a temporary tag on my car and it had fallen off. Uh, I didn't know that. The police stopped me. Um, and I just got out of the car and started walking towards them with my hands in my pocket. <laughs> and um, you don't do that in America. Um, <laughs> I learned quite quickly. Um, <laughs> but but that's the thing. You um, uh, yeah, I, I, you are. Um, there are rules. There are always these rules, and there are always the ways that you do things. Um, and. We are always told that the way to get by is to be a little bit cheeky and kind of a little bit kind of, uh, you know, stretch the rules a little bit and bend the rules and sort of, you know, see if you can sort of push that one as far as you can take it. It just doesn't work for most most people in the world. It doesn't work unless you're a white guy, basically. It doesn't work unless you're a guy and white. Because we can we can do something wrong and we will just pick ourselves up and it'll be fine. We are not then sort of thrown to the ground. We're not fired. We're not um you know immediately blamed whenever something goes wrong we're just we it's the other way around we kind of get away with you know well you know we get away with all sorts of things but uh yeah it's it's um and, and i think a lot of genre fiction a lot of science fiction superhero stuff um a, a lot of genre fiction is about kind of um uh looking at a lot of fiction is about defamiliarizing. It's about looking at things in a new way. It's about looking at things in a way that we haven't previously considered. It's about looking at a, um, a way to do it. There's a, a lot of the literary fiction in Britain um, in the 80s and 90s when I was reading a lot of literary fiction in Britain uh, was coming from the, the um, what we call in a post-colonial perspective, the, the uh, West Indian writers and, and writers from India, um, Pakistan were coming, we're, we're living in England now. And they'd seen the the empire collapse. Um, that they had um, had a very complex relationship with, because it was a lot of the educated people. If you went to the universities in those countries run by the British, um, and if you watched the the sort of official line in all of those countries, you were you were part of the empire. You were part of the um, you know part of this grand pro civilizing project. Um, um, and that isn't how it felt to them at the time. Uh, easily, it wasn't. It was complex then, but it was and, even, and, and, and let's even more sure complex we, when the empire collapses. Let's make sure we put <laughs> civilizing in quotation marks, yeah, yeah, which no, is no, how no, I know no, you no. meant it. Yeah. 
Just yeah, sorry, I'm doing yeah, I'm doing this on the webcam, so you, you no one can see this, but I'm putting little lots of bunny ears on things. Just assume that half of these words have got like little bunny ears around the around the around the word. Um, these things are one of the things that I mean. I, I am I'm Gen X. I am I am from a postmodern era. Um, I am there's there's three generations below us now. I think um, we problematized. We 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 found the problems in all of these things. We the 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 stuff that we liked um, was stuff like Star Wars and Alan Moore and Doctor Who and things like that. The the, the pop culture of the time, um, the pop music of the time. To be honest with you deconstructed all that. It, it took the rules and said, look at this silly rule. It's just a rule. What if you turn this rule exactly the other way around? What if you just reverse this? What if you gender flipped this? What if you, you know, what if instead of a young guy, this was an old guy doing it, you know? Um, um, you, you, it, quite a lot what, of quite... What, 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 what if you're a superhero who, who forgot his magic word? Exactly, yeah. Uh, it, or just, just, just basic self-awareness of a lot of this stuff. You know, what if Batman realized he was quite silly? You know, what if he realized it was just a bit dumb to do this? Um, and um, uh, so we were sort of applying like psychological realism, um, the rules of psychology anyway, to, to, to these sort of fictional tropes and cliches and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, and, and sort of going, look at the problem with this, look at the problem with this, look at the problem with this. Um, somewhere along the way, we, we forgot to sort of come up with any kind of like solutions or um, plan or way out of here or, or anything. Or we came up with the solution to, um, like the solution to the, like all world problems is, is, is that we switch to solar panels and local energy generation and and a sort of slightly more local form of government where you have sort of like a little bit more control over your day-to-day -day life but within a framework where the guys over in the next town can't come and you know raid your crops or whatever um but, but basically the, the solution to like the problems of the 21st century is basically change the fossil economy to a renewable energy economy we, we kind of figured that out in like 1985 or something and and we, we needed to spend like 10 years actually building the solar panels in a, in a like technological you know way and developing the batteries that would allow us to store the power so we could use it when we needed to use it but so we so we came up with a solution that didn't then want to do it, didn't actually want to implement it in any way shape or form um so so my generation is really really good at identifying problems and and, and possible solutions and sort of turning around and going Hey man, this this the system is kind of uh, there's something weird about this system. It's very strange. It's kind of says it's doing this, but it's actually doing that. It's actually doing the complete opposite a lot of the time. Um, the people that are warning you about the dangers of this are the guys that are doing exactly that thing. You know, they're they're um, the people. Um, you know. Um, and that, that's actually quite a sort of fertile ground for the sort of examining fiction and, and um, uh, ending up in these circles of things. And we love Star Wars. Star Wars is basically just a, a montage of other movies. I love Star Wars. Like, seriously, I, I, I think Star Wars is amazing. But it is just a montage of other movies, essentially. It's, it's not, it, 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 it's about cinema. Um, it, it's a movie about movies. It's a movie about how great the movies are. If you, if you go to Star Wars when you're, I, I was six, I think, seven. I was probably seven when I started it, seven I saw it, seven when it got to England. Um, 
and I loved it. And I and I and I read the C3PO and R2D2 were like Laurel and Hardy. And I think I I vaguely knew who Laurel and Hardy were. Um, and and then this was a you know these these bits of the X-wing thing at the end were were from these war movies, and this character was uh, from the old samurai, you know, from from uh, uh, the, the the hidden fortress and uh, Kurosawa and things like that. I didn't know what any of these things were, and I, I learned. I learned what they were by watching Star Wars. You know, it's like okay, it's like the Wizard of Oz. This is like you know, um, and and if you if you just follow the almost like the hyperlinks in Star Wars um, to to how these things were made and what 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 it's referencing, you know, what it's referencing and what the um, you know what individual shots are actually just sort of like lifted from, you end up with like a really quite good working, certainly a good foundation for a working knowledge of cinema. Um, and I think a lot of the comics of the ages are the same sort of thing. They're, they're sort of deconstructing stuff. But by deconstructing, they sort of go, look, here's, here's the stuff that's actually like key to the genre. Here's the stuff that actually works. Here's the stuff. Um, here's the kind of like, um, um, here's the like fatal flaws in it. I think, I think, I think um, um, uh, the sort of superhero comics that Alan Moore's writing in the, in the 80s um, are written for boys. Um, and it tends to mean that um, women are not very well represented. I, I think I think you have this sort of weird kind of um, uh, you see in Watchmen. I think I, I think most people think that the Silk Spectre story in Watchmen, the, the story of the um, the woman in in Watchmen, the woman in Watchmen, basically, is um, um, it, it's sort of one of the the weaker um, ones. Because it's incredibly kind of problematic. It's about a sexual assault. It's about a couple of sexual assaults, um, and it's about a, uh, a woman being a literal sort of sex object in this in this story, um, and her trying to sort of find her identity in the in this sort of world of of, of uh, sort of hyper masculine guys. Um, uh, and and it's it's because that was the there'd be one woman on the superhero team that there. there the women were now very well developed. So if you if all you've got to work with other the foundations of other previous comics, there aren't that many sort of strong role models to look at. Um, and and the more you dig in, the more you do find that there is this sort of hidden history. Um, that the, the and, and people did that work. You know, went went back and looked, and they said, well, when it started, there were actually quite some strong characters, and there there were some incredibly influential female creators who just sort of because the credit, you know, people didn't get credits or that they used a, you know, a, a gender neutral, uh, you know, pseudonym or whatever, uh, weren't credited at the time. There, there were, there were, there were women there writing stories that it, when you look at them now have a sort of sort of feminist angle to them and, and Wonder Woman is created by a psychologist who's rather famously now is, is was, was in a, a, a polyamorous relationship and, and uh, um, into uh, into bondage, basically. <laughs> so that's why she's got a lasso, and that's why she's got these sort of ba bracelets of submission. And, and you talk about the creator uh, of Wonder Woman. The great, yeah, William uh, Milton Marston, or Marston Milton. Uh, 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 so, so there, there are, if you dig into it, there are foundational things where you could build on and sort of like level the ground and then start building a new building. Um, but all you can do really with the genre stuff is is um, uh, just sort of talk about genre stuff if you're not careful. I, I've got a uh, my, my my friend, my long-term friend and and collaborator Mark Clapham came up with a, a, a very good line about um, a, a lot of the current Star Wars stuff 
uh, just generally, but the, the, the TV shows and the, and the, and the movies and the, the comics and the books and everything, is that a, a lot of the time, a lot of the, uh, the sort of driving, every, every piece of art should have like a personal connection and a, a sort of, a, the, the writer, the creator of the project should have a, like a deep, like, drive to communicate a kind of message and a kind of, um, not, a, not a message, but a, but a communicate a sort of an emotional response to their reader. And excitement, I get, excitement is as good a word as any. I, I am excited about this story because um, is, is basically what, the, what, what you should be asking yourself. Why should, if you're not excited, if you as a writer are not excited by your story, then, um, then why would the reader ever be excited about the story? I mean, before you, before you have to excite an agent and an editor and a marketing team at a publisher, how, how would you, how do you, you know, if you're not excited, then who, who's going to be excited? Um, and, and Mark Clapham made the, I think, very, very astute point that I think when you look at a lot of modern Star Wars, I think, I think that the, the thing that seems to excite people is um, when, I, when I was 10, I saw The Empire Strikes Back and I really liked it. Um, and, and, and there isn't very much more to it. They're not finding a kind of, um, uh, not, not in the, like, the official like, mainstream stuff, they're not finding very much of a kind of like, um, personal thing. Star, the, the original Star Wars is an incredibly odd film. It, 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 it's, it's George Lucas's very sort of personal, um, personal vision of, 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 you know, it's him growing up in a small town and wanting to make it big and wanting to make a difference. And um, it, is, it is this movie that he writes while, or starts writing while, while the Vietnam War is in place. And it's literally about this small town boy who decides to go and join the Viet Cong. It's, it's kind of like the wrong way around. It's kind of, it's like the, it's like the, the strangest kind of, like, the, the, the morality is very strange. You, you, you think that um, that this sort of war movie, the guy would be, you know, um, uh, you know, and, and the, the guys in the, the bad guys in Star Wars are clearly the bad guys. You know, they're not they're not they're not going out of their way to disguise that. You know, um, uh, and and I'm, I'm not, uh, but but it is a very sort of idiosyncratic George Lucas vision of the world and and he loves movies and hot rod cars and right um, pop right. culture and, and and he creates this movie that's a sort of melange of that the people that are making star wars now uh like star wars or they like money that seems to be what drives them and i love star wars i, yeah. I love i love the sight gags in the mandalorian i love you know um I, I love seeing background characters in star wars rebels that are just like a collection of the star wars figures i, I see the references love them laugh at them think they're great i am you know but i'm not kind of convinced that these people are, are kind of like well what's what's what, what's, what's the, the emotional connection meaning? right yeah yeah or, yeah. or deep, deeper kind of like yeah what's and the, so what's and so when you were talking earlier about the first star wars is just a mashup of all this great international cinema in space mm. to, yeah. to and, and done perfectly. And, and using some of the using some incredible like movie technology as well. Yeah. Like yeah. like well, like inventing. Art movie technology. Yeah. Inventing it 100%. just so you, you can't you can't make it. So yeah. he just invents a camera that is computer controlled or um, you know, has people that invents that. And and it's it's it, an, it's it, and it shows you things that were just never on a cinema screen before in amongst right. all this. Right. And I love this idea. I'm going to tweet this when we finish that Star Wars <laughs> is about a village boy who joins the Viet Cong because you're exactly right. Um, 
And you know, I, I think one of the, the reasons that Empire resonates is that it's actually, it, it takes everything that, that was in Star Wars, but it goes deeper and it examines deeper themes of, of human psychology and dealing with fear and so forth. And so if we, if we uh, you know, turn, turn this yeah. fantastic conversation <laughs> towards um, Alan Moore, I think what Moore does so well is he gives you the mashup he gives you the, the sort of meta textual, but it's about deeper meaning. So my first thought is actually um, one of my favorite works of his is Smacks. And Smacks yeah. Yeah. is okay. a mashup of fairy tale and science fiction and a bunch of literary allusions. And That's it's a lot of hard-boiled detectives, yeah. Right, and it's also about sexual trauma and incest and dealing um, with the ramifications of childhood trauma. And that, I mean, to be able to pull that off and do it in such an extraordinary way is the, the high wire act there is so phenomenal. And it's about very deep um, human experiences and meaning. I, I think so. I, I think, um, I think Alan Moore is a, a 40 plus year career now. What is it, 40? It's 40 year, call it 40 year. A 40 year career now. And and I think that he's, he's all, he announced his retirement like two years ago, and it's now just announced a five book deal. Um, he's he wrote more comics, um, you know, after after he retired from comics. The first, and, you know, and has made a couple of films most in the recent, last couple of years. No, I know, and, and there's this this movie that that was going to come out, and then we had the pandemic, and it's 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 um, called the show, which is uh, um, based on uh, 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 some shorts or, or developed from some shorts that he, he was he worked on, you know, ten years ago. Um, so he's incredibly prolific. He's incredibly kind of uh, his his career has definitely evolved. His um, uh, okay, I'll, I'll start from the I'll start from where we are now with Alan Moore. Um, where we are now with Alan Moore. Alan Moore has a very loyal fan base. He has a a um, uh, a set of people where he knows that he can produce a project and it will get a buzz and it will get publicity. And we had a situation a couple of years ago where he was fighting like the Warner Brothers like movie versions of his. Uh, movies, and he's a guy in a terraced house in Northampton. He's got like a five bedroom, you know, five room house <laughs> in Northampton, um, and and he was going toe to toe with like the marketing division of Warner Brothers, and he was getting more more kind of like um, newspaper time and more kind of uh, uh, coverage than than they were. He was able to get his message across as effectively as a multimedia, um, you know media conglomeration. You know? um, so uh, he knows he's in a position where he can do uh, any sort of project that he wants to, that he can go where he wants to go. Um, and I am so envious of the guy because he has decided that what he's going to do with that is write what he wants to write, create what he wants to create. Um, and it's a huge, it's a sort of, I'm not saying it's an unprecedented amount of artistic freedom, but but he's also not locked himself into, um, like if you're George Lucas or if you're Stephen King or if you're any of these people that sells a, you know, sell signs these twenty-five million dollar book deals that are apparently, yeah, I don't know where these book deals are, but uh, I, um, apparently they exist, you know. Um, and, and there are certain comic creators in that in that position as well. I, 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 you can come up with the names yourself. Uh, 
if you are that kind of brand and if there are millions of dollars riding on your latest project and if it, you know, there, there must be there must be a room in a publishers that is just purely dedicated to Stephen King as a probably a floor at this point just dedicated to Stephen King and his work you can't really walk away from that He's, Stephen King's got to write another horror novel he's got to kind of keep um, you know, he's got to keep, keep talking about The Shining or whatever, because it's a whole industry at this point. Um, um, and at some level, all of these writers have to kind of return to the things that made them like it's like a band, you know. Um, I, I, I'm a huge fan of Queen, and I got a Queen album in the 80s, and I listened to it, and I told my mom, Oh, it's a bit like sounds a bit like the last one. Um, and she made the very good point if I didn't want to listen to something that sounded like Queen, I should just buy a album by someone that wasn't queen you know that's the that, that that's the way to solve that that problem um but there must be a whole bunch of writers who are basically writing like the guys that sold books 15 years ago rather than the books that they actually want to write just because it works and they make money and a lot of people now are depending on them for um you know the the, the brand um and alan moore is this sort of very weird he's probably you know i mean even even in this sort of weird state where he's retired from comics and where he wants his name like ostentatiously removed from uh, like the Watchmen TV show and, uh, and um, uh, you know, the reprints of a lot of his old stuff. Um, he's the sort of very sort of like, he's the biggest brand there is in comics, right? As a, as a, as a creator. Uh, I, mean, I think probably Spider-Man and Batman or whatever could probably take him in, in that fight. But, but in terms of like the people the people who are creating the, 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 these things. Um, he's a brand name in his own right. Um, and, and there are there a are few writers like that, but, but he's, he's up there. Um, and um, he has taken the, the, um, the artistic choice to, to um, paint himself gold and play the moon in a, in a, in a movie uh, um, and, and to um, write uh, comics about your very sort of scathing, um, satirical in the old sort of sense of being very vicious takedown of, of Hollywood in the, in, in, his, in the one that just came out, Cinema Purgatorio, uh, the one that's just um, collected, Cinema Purgatorio. Um, vicious, you know, uh, attacks on cinema and the cinema industry. Um, but even in the sort of more mainstream stuff, the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen stuff, and um, uh, the, the, the more mainstream stuff he's been doing, it, it's, it, it's become much more of a personal vision. Um, and a few years ago, he published the craziest novel of all time, Jerusalem, which is like um, 1,200 pages long, and it's, 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 it's almost impossible to lift. And it's, it's, it's like a... I got the audiobook version and it's 65 hours, I think, 65 hours long. Um, and um, and it's written by, it's read by one guy. Simon, I think Simon Vance read, reads it. And, and it's just like, I, I, how long did it take? Did he just sit there for, <laughs> I mean, th th I guess they have a morning session and an evening uh, afternoon session and they're there for like eight hours a day and it's 60 hours and he's, Simon Vance has done hundreds of these books before, and 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 so he's a professional, and he can just sort of, I guess he's he's sight reading a lot of these lines, you know, and and and. I mean, did he really go through it and make notes? I, I have to talk to Simon Vance at some point to find these things out. Um, but it's this insane thing. It's this sort of it's a twelve hundred page novel that is set in one square mile of Northampton for the most for the most part, and some people from that one square mile of Northampton. 
um, that somehow manages to um, end up with time travelers at the end of the universe who got there by walking to the end of the universe um, and um, uh, a multi-layered kind of afterlife through fantasy world <laughs> that is uh, a reflection of or our world may be a reflection of um, Northampton um, version of heaven um, and, and it, it's this sort of thing that lasts for uh, uh, over a century with into characters sort of great grandfathers show up and uh, and turn out to be sort of integral to the plot. Um, it, it, it's this extraordinarily complex kind of book that in no meaningful sense is commercial um, and, and yet it's this extraordinary kind of like personal statement um, uh, and Alan Moore does that and, and Alan Moore could make uh, even now, Alan, Alan Moore obviously famously had a very big falling out with, with DC Comics, and there is um, uh, generationally now. I think I don't I don't think it's anyone at DC Comics. I might be wrong, but I don't think there's anyone actually working at DC Comics now that was working at DC Comics when Alan Moore was working there. Um, there, there were people that were working at Wildstorm when he was working for Wildstorm, but was bought by DC Comics. Um, and, and he, he, there must be some names you'd recognize, but that none of the people from like the ages that he fell out with are working there anymore. Um, and um, so this is sort of like, that's a sort of multi-generational saga as well, thinking about it. You have this, this sort of multi-generational saga of people at DC worried about Alan Moore being a bit of a, you know, um, bit of a one, as we call it in Britain. Um, and um, he, even now he could pick up the phone and say, I would like to write the Killing Joke too, um, and 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 DC would 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 flout all the pandemic restrictions. They would hire a corporate jet, they would they would buy some golden wheelbarrows and fill them with money and and dump it on his door and say, the next jet's coming along next week. Um, you know, uh, start writing this Killing Joke too. And and um, a lot of comics creators of the of the eighties of, of I'm not, and I'm not judging this. This is, <laughs> I, I, it's the sensible move that a lot of the comics writers of the '80s have either um, written sequels to the stuff that was big in the '80s, or follow-ons, or something, um, or they've done that kind of Tom Clancy's recon submarine patrols, you know, sort of thing where where it says Tom Clancy's the, but Tom Clancy died 20 years ago, and and um, <laughs> and, um, and, and, and Tom Clancy never wrote, you know, never wrote any of them, are, you know, um, uh, and, and um, a lot of people's names appear on these things that they don't, you know, I, there are some, again, naming their names, that, that there have been comic creators that have um, been asked about comics that they are credited as the writer on and said, I can't wait to read it. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, Alan Moore could do that very, very, very easily um, with, uh, you know, um, uh, and, and has, has chosen very much not to do that. He's chosen to sort of um, uh, create things that are personal to him and create things to do that. He, he, you know, he's, he's not, um, you know, he, he, he and, and so that's, that's where we are with Alan Moore now. Where Alan Moore is born, Alan Moore is born um, in, a, in a, a, a post-war Northampton that is extraordinarily poor by modern British standards, by um, by even 
if you think about the poorest parts of rural America now, you're, you're, you're talking about that kind of level of poverty that he's born into. Um, he, he's, um, they're in council housing, which is government owned, local government owned housing, housing projects, I guess they call him. Um, uh, and the, the residents that are moved in, uh, the, the residents that rent these properties, um, his parents have to choose whether they're buying a house with a, uh, they're renting a house with a with an inside toilet or with electricity. That, that one or the other, you don't get both. Um, and and so um, and this is, he's born in 1953, um, and this is not wildly uncommon. I mean, this is I'm, I'm I my um, I didn't sort of connect these things when I was writing writing my biography of him. Um, it's not a dissimilar thing at all to the way my uh, to my father's upbringing. My father was grew up in a terraced house, rented terraced house, um, uh, not very far away either. Um, I, I, didn't I, I, I didn't realize when I was writing this book that I was kind of doing this weird Freudian thing where I was actually writing about my, my father's upbringing until I started researching my Alan Moore's upbringing. And, 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 um, uh, uh, but Alan Moore goes to grammar school. Um, uh, at, at the time, you passed an exam when you were 11, 11 plus. Um, and, and if you passed the exam, you went to grammar school. And if you didn't pass the, uh, the 11 plus, you went to um, a, a, a comprehensive school. Um, uh, and the, the, um, the, the grammar schools are the ones that teach you to be middle class, basically. They, they give you the, um, the middle class ethos and, and you go off and become a, a successful manager at an accountant. So, um, uh, you know, you, you become management material. Um, and um, uh, Alan Moore did very well at art. Um, he, he, he discovered that um, uh, all the other kids were like much richer than, like much richer. He didn't realize that there was a, a middle class. He didn't realize. And now he was being sort of trained to become part of the middle class. Um, uh, uh, and he was bright and he'd been the smartest kid in his primary school, in his elementary school by a long way. He'd been like super, super smart. Um, and he arrived in this grammar school um, and realized he was actually like the, 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 the dumb kid who didn't know anything when he arrived. Um, and, um, and, and there are two ways to, to behave with that. You sort of kind of like, you know, pull yourself up by the bootstraps and adopt the challenge and you sort of like learn to conform and you learn to fight and you, the, your natural scrappiness of your, you know, hard upbringing means you, you're, you're a tough fighter. Um, and what he did is he, he got expelled for selling acid instead. He, 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 uh, he, he decided he was going to become a drug dealer um, and um, took his own product and his own product was acid um, and um, uh, had a meeting with the headmaster where he was, uh, according to him, reports vary. Uh, the version he, he tells, um, he, was, he was actually tripping while he was in the middle of an acid trip while the headmaster was telling him you know, that this was not a good thing. Um, uh, uh, this didn't lead to a brilliant recommendation. Uh, he, he wanted to get to art school um, and, and this did not lead to a letter of recommendation um, from, the, uh, from, from the headmaster. Um, so he ends up doing a whole bunch of very sort of menial jobs, very sort of he's, he's and, skinny. And skinny sorry to inter interrupt Lance, I yeah. think in your book you, you reference, or certainly I've seen more reference this, that the headmaster wrote letters <laughs> a bunch of other schools I, I, sort of ruining yeah. Moore's potential I, I, academic career. I, I, yeah, I, I, I mean, again, I, 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 I don't know how. Yeah, I mean, I guess what you do is 
um, if you're asked, what do you think of this Alan Moore guy? And you really, really um, have it against him, then you would go, don't touch him. You know, this guy's terrible. And, and I think, um, I, I think that probably happened. The guy, the, the headmaster doesn't sound, uh, we have Alan Moore's viewpoint from, from, from this. He's, he's not a neutral um, arbiter of this dispute, I don't think. But, uh, but, um, but at the same time, I think a headmaster who felt that, you know, um, I, I think I think it's not um, impossible that the headmaster had a uh, uh, a grudge against the the guy and, uh, and and did what he could. Right, but um, I, I got you off track. So so now yeah, no, Alan no, Moore's no, out no, of school no, 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 doing, no, no. doing uh, menial no, work. Uh, Alan Moore does a bunch of menial jobs. Um, uh, and and the, and the point I'm making is he he starts out um, skinning sheep um, in a in a, a slaughter. He's he's skinning sheep and dipping them in um, lye. I think it is. Um, uh, he he has uh, a series of menial labourer jobs. He he works. Uh, he, he sort of rises to the point where he's processing invoices for a for a gas fitter company. Um, and the 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 trick there, and the thing that I think people generally, but I think particularly American people, um, just don't get about Alan Moore is he's never been motivated by money in the same way, because. He, he never had money. He never aspired to it. He never thought he would. He never thought his destiny was to be a millionaire. He never thought that his. Um, and and uh, he never wants to leave not, Northampton. Everything he, he wants, wants is right where he is. He, he, he moves house. He, get, he gets divorced in the late, um, I, th I think it's the late 80s. It might be the very early 90s. Um, he, he gets divorced. He, he, he sells the, the previous family house. He buys a new one. Um, six weeks later, um, he has friends around, and they 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 think he's kind of like transported the old house brick by brick. It's it's an identical house, and it's like uh, it's like two or three streets away, I think, from from the previous one. Um, uh, uh, he lives and 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 still, uh, he he lives in a a, a mid terrace, in in a, a ter I mean you, you have terraced houses here, but it's it's like it's like a a row of houses all. Americans tend to remember it from Help, the Beatles movie Help. You know, in the beginning of um, Help, all the Beatles sort of walk into the, um, the I'm, I'm not gonna, it is Help. Sorry, I was having this terrible fear that it was hard days back. It's Help. They all walk into the um, individual doors of the terraced house and they close the door and it turns out that they all live in the, the same big house, but it's, 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 it's Coronation Street, it's Help. They all live in this big, long um, street, tiny little houses all in a row. Um, and they're all houses. So, so, so row houses are they connected? Yeah, yeah, no, or they're all, they, um, they're, they're, um, you have semi-detached houses, which are like two houses joined together. But you have terraced houses, are like a big long row. They're built for they're built for factory workers and mill workers. Right. So in the U.S., um, we call them row houses. Yeah, row houses. Yeah, sure. Um, but I think that row houses in America tend to be, you know, bigger and they tend to be a little bit more. Uh, yeah. So, so yeah, row houses. Um, and uh, he he doesn't have a sort of extravagant lifestyle. I, 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 I don't know if he's formally agoraphobic. Um, I don't know if it's a, an actual diagnosis, but he's very happy staying inside. He's very happy um, sitting in one corner of his front room typing. Um, and um, he has a, um, has a little farmhouse in Wales now, I think, or he did have, that he was renovating. Um, uh, but, um, he, he's not motivated by he, he's 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 
blind in one eye and deaf in one ear, so he can't legally drive either. Um, so he doesn't doesn't need an Aston Martin. He doesn't need you know any any, any of those things. Um, which which means that a giant corporation like Warner Brothers or Marvel or Disney, they don't know how to talk to them because they, can't do, they understand and, money. And Alan Moore is saying, "Keep your money. Fuck your money." And, and all of the disputes in comics, um, all the other disputes about ownership in comics and kind of like uh, the rights and rewards that you would get in the comics industry and and. and Anyone that knows anything about comics at all, even if you know you've seen one Marvel movie, you know that there are the people that created these things are not getting a you know uh, or were not are not getting a, a a good share of all this sort of billions that are now coming in. Um, uh, that they're created the original comics, the ones that have got all of the sort of original superheroes in there. They're these incredibly cheap things. They're published by some very kind of shady guys in New York. Um, uh, they're, they're, um, uh, they're, they're printed really cheaply, they're sold for nothing. Um, there, are, there are points in the history of comics where they are just literally a tax scam. They are, they are published purely to make it look like there's some economic activity to cover some money laundering or to set, you know, offset against you know, profits. Um, and, and there's no contracts. People are just sort of like some of the some of the people creating like the, I think the creators of Superman are like 17 or 18 when they create Superman, and and a lot of them are just like kids coming along with an idea. I've got this idea for this superhero. Great kid, we'll give you fifty dollars, and 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 they go fifty dollars. Oh my god, you know this is thirties. This is thirties and forties. It's a huge amount of money. Looks like a huge amount of money to them. They don't realize that you know there's going to be very quickly with a lot of this stuff, actually. I mean, it, it's a huge industry now, but very quickly with things like Superman, there, there's there's merchandise and there's there's movie serials and animation and lots and sort of lots of sort of stuff. So very quickly there is sort of money to be had here. Uh, but yeah, the corporations um, make money and they make profits. Um, when there is a dispute between a corporate entity and another corporate entity, it's a legal dispute. So you pay some lawyers and the other guy pays some lawyers and the two lawyers sit down and they go, what, what money figure would put this right? <laughs> that's, that's what it is. Okay, you, you're talking about artistic freedom and, you know, fair credit. But if we gave you $18 million, would you just, you know, bugger off? Right. Um, <laughs> What's interesting about that, and, and this is in your book, I want to make sure we, we, we plug your work. So oh, yeah, please um, do. Lance is a biographer of Alan Moore. Um, wrote a book years ago that I bought, I think in 2001 or 2002, just a pocket essentials book about Alan Moore. And then about eight years ago, wrote a great book, um, fantastic book called Magic Words, The Extraordinary Life of Alan Moore, which Amazon tells me I bought in February 2014. So just a few months after it came out. Yeah. You, um, I think it's a US release. So you were, you were very, yeah. very, very excited yeah. about that. Um, I approve. I approve yeah. of this. <laughs> so I can't recommend <laughs> those books and all of Lance's work strongly enough. I haven't read the Doctor Who stuff or, or the other work you've done. The Alan Moore stuff is great. And in your book, Magic Words, about Alan Moore, you reference that. And actually, I'll, I'll just give this little anecdote. And then let's let's talk about the art of Alan Moore rather than the commerce. Um, hmm. But that basically the dispute with Moore started with these fucking giveaway buttons from Watchmen, <laughs> which as a 12-year-old I had because yeah, I, yeah, you know, yeah. I loved Watchmen. And 
it probably came down to about five or six thousand dollars. And you quote more as saying yeah. something to the effect of if they just handled that right, there's no telling how much money <laughs> you know they could have made off of my work. But uh, but I don't want to get bogged down with the economic stuff because um, it sucks and I, I 100% yeah. support more on all of it. I didn't even watch the, the Watchmen TV series because he's like, if you're a fan of my stuff, you know, this is, they're, they're just ripping me off. Um, but let's maybe just do one or two more questions. Um, how do you, uh, I'm trying to think of a, an open-ended question to let you go wherever you want. How do you categorize, I would say genius. How do you categorize the genius of Alan Moore in his work? First of all, I would, I, I, I'm very, very wary about a word like genius. Um, I, 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 I'm very, very wary, wary of that. Um, I, I think there are people that are very, very good at things. Um, uh, and, and I think there are also sort of very narrow forms of genius as well. I, I, I have worked with people um, who, I, who I would call geniuses at the, at the, at the thing that they do. Um, and uh, um, so it's very, very true. And I, and I don't want us to sit there. I mean, we're talking about commerce. I, I, I don't want to sit there and put a number on genius and sort of go, you know, this is, Alan Moore is a level nine genius. And, you know, this compares well with. Um, I, I think the genius of Alan Moore is, um, I think at heart, there is a very strong understanding of um, technique. I think he's very, very confident with um, technique of, I mean, make, when we talk about comics, particularly, uh, he he grew up reading comics. He he he, um, he sort of instinctively understands a lot of the potential of the the genre, the, the not the genre, the medium. Um, he understands what you can do with a comic strip page um, in a way that I think I mean, none of these things. The other thing that's really really, I wrote a book about Alan Moore. I think Alan Moore's a genius. I like Alan Moore. Uh, you know, I, as a, as a, I, I met the guy, I met him once at a signing when after Watchmen came out, I met him on a, for a promotional event for this, the launch event for this book. Um, and I spoke to him on the phone twice. So I'm not like a pal of Alan Moore and I've never ever pretended to be a pal of Alan Moore. The people that email me asking me to put me in touch with Alan Moore, I can't really help you any more than anyone else can. Um, uh, I, I am not speaking about his, you know, personal hygiene, I'm not speaking about his moral worth as a human being. I, I have quite a high opinion of all of those things. Personal hygiene, impeccable. Um, but um, I think in terms of comic writing, it is, um, sorry, what I was saying is that the geniuses, I think geniuses always exist within a, uh, a network and a matrix and, a, and, a, and a, a, a community. There are plenty of people around in the 1980s doing good comics. So the, the, the market for comics in the 1980s is absolutely right for it. You have a, um, uh, uh, there's all sorts of stuff. Color printing becomes cheaper and you can do better stuff with it. You can do smarter things with it. Um, comics fans are a little bit older. They've got a little bit more money. They're a little bit smart. You know, they're, 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 they're tending to go to university now. They're a lot more of them are suddenly sort of tertiary educated. So they're looking for something smarter. I, I, I read a, a, a newspaper, uh, one of the letter columns in I think All Star Squadron. Um, and there's a letter going, I'm 14 years old and I think I'm growing out of comics. And, and the reply is, yeah, you probably are, you're 14, you probably, you know, um, you, know you, you probably have grown out of them. Here's some books you should read instead. 
And this is like 1982 or three, I think. For, I think 40, 40 years later in a <laughs> yeah, trillion dollars later. I know, 40, yeah, 40 trillion dollars later. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's um, and I, I don't think that's, <laughs> I'm going to be honest, I'm not entirely sure that's wrong. <laughs> I, I, as I sit here, kind of like I have a, you know, um, as I sit here with a, a stack of incre uh, incredible Hulk comics to read, uh, I, I, I do wonder if it's entirely um suitable for a a 50 year old man of you know advancing years uh but um uh who, so this, this who, is, who, to that, be to be fair published his first book at age four i i, I did publish my book at age four. that's true i yeah i'm stuck at four i think is what you're saying um yeah okay um so there are lots of geniuses i'm not saying that alan moore is like this unique um figure um and and he can't draw fast enough so if, if he was the only talented person around you wouldn't have heard of him because he, he wouldn't have been able to draw these things um he has a bunch of very talented artists and these are not guys that he alan moore writes these ridiculously long famously long stupidly long scripts but all of his artists um interpret those scripts add things to those scripts have already pitched ideas to alan have designed things have come up with things. David Lloyd comes up with the Guy Fawkes mask in V for Vendetta. Um, Dave Gibbons comes up with, Dave Gibbons is not the guy that drew Alan Moore's stuff on Watchmen. Dave Gibbons is a full on, absolutely unambiguous co-creator of Watchmen. Um, um, it, 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 I, I think Watchmen could exist without Alan Moore, but not without Dave Gibbons. And that's the kind of, level we're at. I mean, uh, these are, these are, um, oh, now, now I want to go off and write an essay about that. that, 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 that okay. Um, Alan Moore's genius is nice. the ability. <laughs> which, which actually, let me just, just add something yeah, there about Watchmen. Yes, Watchmen's a classic, Time 100 list, all of that. I don't, I don't put it in the top tier category of Moore's work. And I think you're exactly right. I, I think it could, something like that, like Watchmen could exist without Moore and with Gibbons, um, but it's, it's yeah, it, just, just wanted to add that. I, I think there are a lot of people where Watchmen leaves them absolutely cold, and there's a lot of people where people don't see the first. I, I like Watchmen, I love Watchmen, and I've got, you know, I, I reread it, and I, I find something new in it every time, which is the mark of a, any good novel, you know, I, I, I do that with The Name of the Rose, you know, I, I'll reread re re The Name of the Rose, The Handmaid's Tale, or another novel of the sort of, mid 1980s, early 1980s, and, and, and Watchmen's from the same time period doing the same at that kind of level, you know. Um, uh, but yeah, it does leave people cold. I, 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 think, I think Moore's um, genius is um, the ability to take a comics page and do some extraordinarily kind of like, um, it's gonna sound very dry, but very sort of formal things with it. Um, but an absolute confidence in sort of the way that you can do jump cuts and the absolute confidence in which you can do sort of like play around with perceptions of time and, and um, all of the things that the comics, um, um, all the, the comics medium is, is just um, an extraordinary medium. You, you can, um, another, another absolute trademark of Alan Moore is, is taking a picture and putting a caption over it that completely contradicts the picture, um, or that that plates a sort of ironic spin on it, or makes you look at what you're looking at in a a, a sort of 
um, strange, you know, way. So, so there's a, there's one in a small killing, and I, I I'm going to get this quote wrong, but there's, there's a picture of a car crash, um, and the caption is something like "Everything's fine," um, and and you can't do that in, um, you can't do that in cinema even. You can't in a voiceover in cinema. You, it's performed, and it's a little bit kind of like it's always it's going to have to be too arch. It's right. going to be some actor going "Everything's fine," and then right. seeing a car crash. You know, it, more it, it, more is. He, he's confident, he's a master of the form, and he understands the form so well that there are things in comics that you can't do in any other medium. Yeah. I'm thinking of the gray shirt story in Tomorrow Stories of the different floors yeah. of a building and each page is four different floors of a building over like four different decades or something. I mean, it's just, or some of the panels in Promethea. Yeah. It's just oh, God, genius I was gonna say, that couldn't I was gonna say exist Promethea. in any other medium. Promethea is this um, extraordinary thing that, that looks like, I mean, when it's launched, it looks for all the world just like he's, he's, he's doing Wonder Woman. He's just doing some sort of thing that looks a bit like Wonder Woman. Um, um, and that's what all of the kind of like pre-publicity makes it look like. It, it ends up as this incredible kind of um, journey through his, own kind of personal cosmology, which I've been here a while already, but I can be here a lot longer if we start talking about that. Um, I think it's chapter eight of the book. Um, I, I, I would read, <laughs> yeah. I, I think Prometheus is masterwork, uh, much more so I, than Watchmen or V for Vendetta. Or I, 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 think, I think so too. And I, but again, I think that's, I think, and again, I think it's just the sign of a genius. I think it's a sign of a great yeah. artist is, is yeah. that, um, first of all, you're arguing about like I said before, like which Beatles album is the best? You're right, still arguing right, about the Beatles, right, you know. Right. The Beatles, the Beatles are going to win this one. <laughs> um, and and um, but uh, I, I think Prometheus leaves, leaves a lot of people cold as well. Um, um, and and both of the, uh, I'm, I'm always in this position where I can see what people who don't like Watchmen are getting at. Um, it is cold. It is clinical. It is a little kind of like it's a little bit too kind of. Um, uh, manipulative and it's pulling the strings right. and he's got a theory but then you realize it's a story about that and you go yeah is that is, and, 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 I, I just i just um, want to be clear i i love watchmen oh no no and no of no, course I, if, no, we put, not, if we put if we put watchmen in its context you know so in 1986 no, and, 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 and the beauty of this is it, the beauty of this is you don't have to pick if that's the only is, thing right exactly if this is the only thing he'd written you'd be like oh this is great um, right but, but this, this is this, this is the, the point I, I, I kind of want to make to the audience, uh, especially people that just know his more famous works, is I think he each decade he gets better. I think his stuff in the 90s is better than the 80s and the stuff, the ABC stuff and the stuff in the 2000s. But with Promethea, what was funny is I would literally, I would read an issue and I would just have to sit and just, especially after about issue six, there's a bunch of plot stuff in the first few issues. <laughs> but but the, the whole middle section, this journey through the Kabbalah and, and Moore's personal viewpoint of the universe and time and space, I mean, it, it's like reading a dense philosophical work that you have to sit and do deep thinking about afterwards. But it's also, um, um, I am in no way sense or form the expert on this, but it's also a form of magical working. It's also a, a thing where you have to kind of go through the the journey of it um i i am always in this position i always find myself describing alan moore things in a way that is probably the least appealing um sales pitch you've ever heard you know it's, right it's right just, we're, we're making it sound like work like you know it's, it's, yeah it's i mean it's enjoyable. just like um it, it is in, incredibly colorful and 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 joyful um and it has kind of, 
it, it, it's 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 got that sort of rhythm of his um, writing. It, 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 it's definitely his work. Um, and, and I guess the flip side of um, I guess the flip side of you know, a genius or a, 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 a powerful creative force or whatever you want to call it is that you you if you're taking this one guy's vision, it is one guy's vision. It is going to be there are going to be blind spots. There's going to be limits. There's going to be kind of like quirks and um, uh, there's going to be there's, frankly there's going to be some stuff you don't like. I, I think there are things. Um, the, the one that gets picked up on a lot is is um, sexual assault. Um, that there, there are I I have an extraordinarily low tolerance for depictions of sexual assault in in in, in the media to the point where if, if it's a, even if it's like a thing that's a feminist take on the subject that that is um, written and directed by a woman and 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 is about how horrible is horrible it is and how traumatic it is and what the thing. I, 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 it's, there's, there's a part of me that goes, it's an entertainment product that can't be about this thing. It's kind of, I'm, I'm, and again, I'm going, oh God, I'm, I'm digging myself in. It, it's kind of like the Holocaust. It's, it's like almost too, the, the, the art, the, trying to make a story that makes you want to go and buy a story about this thing and this, this thing you're talking about. There just seems to be sometimes a mismatch between those two desires, you know, um, and 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 that that is not to say that there shouldn't be these things. It's just to say that I I, I know I mean oh God I can't write them. I couldn't create them myself. I, I I find it difficult to engage with them artistically. It's just too. It's just too much. It's just too too too. Uh, I don't even know that it's too it's too 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 much too. Um, so I have a very low threshold of of, of sexual assault. Um, in in stories. Um, and uh, Moore does have a lot of um, rapes or sexual assaults or attempted sexual assaults or some sort of, you know, uh, there's debates about whether some of them count and it's like, it's, it's a sexual assault. What, 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 the, what the legal, what they'd be charged with is not really the question. It's a, it's a, it's a that is definitely a sexual assault, whether, that, whether, whether it's a, uh, you know, what, what the exact category is. Um, and, and he drives it along in a way, and I, and I, and I think it's because um, it's that sort of early 80s comics thing of like, let's start using comics to talk about things we don't talk about. Um, and, and, and for me, there is a kind of, and I, and I don't think it's dated very well at all. I think, I think the stuff that looks, we're right at that point where it's like 35 years old at this point, 30, 35 years old, and it's beginning to, um, it, it's not quite, it, it, it's of a different. It's a product of a different time. It's 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 thirty five years ago. It, at the time, it's like talking about stuff from the you know the the late forties. It's talking about you know attitudes change, social society changes, what we understand to be um, the way we understand things fitting together is just different. Um, if you take any forty year slice in history, you know, um, and and I think some of that is not aged well at all and I, and I think some of it is quite icky at the time and oh, well, yeah, it's, it, there's no way for me to talk about this in a, 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 a the proper sense of perspective um a lot of the stuff is very problematic at the time a lot of the stuff is is criticized at the time that's the thing um so so you're kind of in that corner of like well at the time the context and it's like no at the time and the context people didn't like it either it's, it's, um 
at the same time, if you're writing about the, so, so what I'm saying, if you're writing about the world, if you're writing, we were talking about this, if, if you're writing about the world, um, and you're writing about how you know women fit in the world, um, you know, um, you have to start talking about um, sexual assault and me too. Um, the question becomes, um, is Alan Moore the right person to do it at that point? And, and Alan Moore doesn't get a choice. Alan Moore is Alan Moore. So if he's if he's doing it, he's doing that. Um, Alan Moore, I think, is is even by, you know, um, uh, modern standards, I think he is um, progressive. I think if you look at the stuff he's doing, um, as I say, I was at the book launch with Alan Moore, um, and um, someone came up to him uh, during the signing at the end and said that the Valerie chapter of Ethan Vendetta, um, which is a chapter where there is a prisoner reading a letter from another prisoner and the prisoner is a the, the the letter writer is a lesbian who has been put in a concentration camp for being a lesbian has seen their lover be killed um is being persecuted because of it and is being corroded destroyed by um by everything a, a, a fascist government has taken over the united kingdom um and is wiping out the people at fascist government to wipe out. Um, and um, uh, it's an extraordinary, it, it, this is a, this case, this is published in Warrior. Warrior was, Warrior was a, a, a comic for grown-ups, but it was a, a, it was a thing with like, you know, barbarians in chainmail and, you know, sexy assassins and, 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 and like cyborgs who like, you know, hated vegetables and had big cleavers for arms. It wasn't, it wasn't, this wasn't like an art house cinema production. It was a it was a hugely influential comic, but it was not like thing. And to have this one quiet little chapter where um, a, a, a a a character reads a heartfelt confession from a a queer character in the eighties. This is this is. I mean, the thing is, this is written before the AIDS crisis. This is written before. This is this is. This is when this is in, there, there is obviously there is gay culture, there is gay, you know, um, pop culture at the time, and there are gay people in public life and all that kind of stuff, but not in comics, not not um, uh, not there. And it is incredibly heartfelt. It is it is a chapter that I think there are, there are a very few things of Alan Moore's that I think they just hand to someone cold and say, read this, you will understand why Alan Moore is good. The, the, the Valerie chapter of Ethan Edgar is one of the very first things he writes. It's, it's not actually that it's only a few years into his writing career. It's, I think, eight pages, six pages, eight pages, something like that. Um, read it now. It stands up now. After all that's changed socially with the LGBT community, everything like that. Um, and, and at the signing, someone came up to him and said, this changed my life. This, this made me realize what I was. Um, and as someone who had told people he was writing a book about Alan Moore, half a dozen people had told me that already, you know. <laughs> and, and Alan Moore gets told that at every sign. You know, someone comes up to him and says, either I realized I was gay, I realized um, that the people telling me gay people were evil were wrong, I was brought up in a very strict religious environment, and reading this made me realize that I was one of the bad guys, but you know, I've been brought up as one of the bad guys. Um, it is an incredibly ineffective um, sort of um, uh, moving thing. So, so 
any sort of attempt to sort of paint him as being this sort of like out of touch ancient white guy who shouldn't be talking about you know things has to factor that in it has to factor in that they did that you have to kind of um there are things in the Alan Moore canon that that um that from a very early point he has been much more there is a, there is a um um someone we would call you know nowadays we would call transgender the word didn't exist in 1983 uh, 1985 when when he writes the ballad of halo jones there's a transgender character in the ballad of halo jones um uh who is again like um extraordinarily sympathetically played um has a has a role in the story it's a, it's a it's a space opera melodrama um the, the trans character is not um the hero of the piece um so um you you don't get attached to characters like that um you don't expect them to necessarily get the perfect fairy tale ending um, and you don't expect the story to be about them but within the context of these these stories that he's telling that is a a, a sympathetic portrayal in the in the true sense of the word you read that and you go i either recognize myself in that i recognize that this is a part of the human condition that, that i am not familiar with but now i i'm exposed to in a, in a way um, um and more more is i think still kind of um is still progressive in a lot of ways there's still sort of like even by the standards of what you might call 40 years on or even by the standards of the fact that he's he's um I'm, I'm very bad at maths but he's i think he's 67 now he's turning going to be 68 this year i think uh, born in 19 born in november 1953 so uh, oh wait no this is going to be archived okay he was born in November 1953, so I don't need to tell you how old he is, because um, you, you could be reading this. <laughs> right, be it could be 2050, years. right. Yeah, exactly, right. they could be reading this, and yeah, some historian could be, re could be listening to this. So, right. Yeah, sure. Sorry, Karen. Yeah, um, you know, I think kind of going back to what we were saying at the very beginning and the purpose of art, and I was saying that I think one of the purposes of art is, is to make an emotional connection to somebody across the page or the screen or whatever it is across the transom and more um when i agree with everything you said i, I think the criticisms are more uh, as you know when it comes to portrayals of sexual assault and so forth and i'm similar to you i i, I don't like I, like something like game of thrones i, I watched yeah, I, I, and i was I, out I, 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 exactly the thing exactly. sexual assault it, it's a, exactly there's a, there's a, is it the same scene there's there's a scene where um in glenn um turns to dragon lady woman who becomes dragon lady woman and says and says you get used to it yeah. and and i was like i'm out i understand i understand that people watch game of thrones i understand lots of people watch game of thrones and it becomes a story about her becoming empowered i understand that but the way it's presented but the the, the hbo series has the, the, pulled off her clothes the, the, pulled the off nudity, her clothes and, the, the yeah, titillation they, 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 all yeah, of that. exactly and more that, even that, even with silk specter back in watchmen there's yeah. never a hint of you know hey let's let's you know for teenage boys let's let's give them a, a shot i, I, don't, I don't think there's even no i, I don't think that no. there's a no i don't think there's a moment where you would look at any of the and, and, there and, is sexual uh, violence i don't think any of it where you would go um this right. is exciting this right. is you know and, and and who's the, the there's a, a guy i think maybe he's croatian who's done a bunch of interviews with alan moore and published them on his website pay, pay drag or 
he's he's Irish. Um, he's uh, Irish. I, oh, uh, is he? Okay. I, 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 I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Sorry. I, I met. He was at the signing. I, I yeah. he's, a, he's a pal. He's credited in the book. Um, I should know how to. I, I should offhand right. know how to. Right. I know how to pronounce it. But but he, um, he's he's done great work and, and has a bunch of very long interviews with more that he's transcribed and posted. Yes. Can't recommend that yes. stuff. And he, you know, this is probably five, ten years ago now, but he presented more with with a question about this, and more gave a very detailed. And and I thought appropriate response. So I, I think anybody that's that's interested in that side, they can. I think can I think that's that the other out. thing is that is that if you want to know what Alan Moore's perspective, Alan Moore is going to is is erudite. Alan Moore speaks. Alan Moore will. Alan Moore is a big boy and can defend himself. I think I yeah. I am not yeah. I am not in the Alan Moore defending business at yeah. all. I think I th I think um, I, he is a human being. There there are right. things that that I will not agree with him about, um, and there are things that I would not want to see in a story that he's put in stories and things like that um but he has his reasons for doing it um if you are if you don't want to be challenged by uh, well, no no that's that's wrong because i'm making it sound like it's some sort of endurance test if you have a red line for you know whatever you want to call it trigger warning or whatever red line for things that you you absolutely will not touch in a in a story there are there are there are things in alan moore stories uh, some of the alan moore stories that you would not want to Right. Um, touch. And, and, I, and, and I think that's fair enough. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell a survivor of a sexual assault that they have to read Watchmen. Right. Um, right. Because it's a, because it's a deconstruction of postmodern superhero tropes. Because, because it doesn't matter in the end of the day. You can't, you can't read something that opens, you know, actual human trauma. Right. And, and everybody's response you know, is. Because Rorschach's cool or whatever. Right. It's different. But <laughs> kind, of, kind of to tie it back to the beginning and, and maybe we can. And here, although I, yeah, yeah. I would love to have you back. Uh, no, and, it's, it's been great. Sorry, maybe I, do a deep dive on, on one or two specific works. But um, going back to art as a tool to connect human yeah. experience and the experience you had at the book signing where someone comes up and says, I felt seen. This helped me feel yeah. understood yeah. or helped help me understand my own um uh, myself. I mean, that's, you know, and going back to Moore saying, fuck the money that, you know, that's, he's living the creative life. He's making art that helps other people feel seen, that helps other people navigate difficult circumstances. And, and I agree with what you said earlier, like, we're sort of talking about all this stuff. And it sounds like, almost like a drag or a downer, homework, yeah. but he's, he's, he's putting it in works of incredible um, imagination and enjoyment and going back to Smacks, Smacks is one of his works that to me is laugh out loud funny. Yeah, no. and, I, and I, deals I, I, with incest and sexual assault as a child I, I think I think one of the things that um, I think it's two things I think first of all I, 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 I am I'm a drop of water in Alan Morris the ocean I'm not uh, I have had a couple of experiences where people have read my things um, these, are, these are not my stories to tell I'm not going to go into the details they have been very positively affected by it. It has helped them at a time when it was very difficult for them. That is extraordinarily powerful as a writer to think that by coincidence, someone was reading your thing and they just happened to read something you wrote that in that moment helped them. It's just like, I, it's, it's the most wonderful thing in the world. And there've been other, I, we, we did a story in our soap opera where one of the characters got prostate cancer and went to the doctor and got checked because they had a funny feeling and um they caught it and he was cured and 
um, we got letters from people going, I, I felt I had the same thing and I went to the doctor and it turned out I had prostate cancer and they caught it and I'm fine. And it's just like you realize that just like these casual dropped, we were doing a story that we would, we didn't really know what to do with the character. You know, <laughs> it was just like, like Joe, just, just, just give him some, make him sick. What could we give him that's sick where he's like, right. thinks he's and, really and, ill? And, and going back to, over, to what you we were saying lives. about, <laughs> right, going back to what you were saying yeah. about genre, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. we were talking about genre sort of science fiction, but no, also no, no. And, and Joe, soap no, opera but, genre. You can couch genre. these things in genre that then help people oh, in real life. No, and I, and, I, and I think it's almost like the escapism thing that, it's a, it's a very strange mix because you recognize, I, I've come to realize that, that a character like Doctor Who is like my, my go-to science fiction, you know, my go-to hero, if you like. A character like Doctor Who, a character like Superman, a character like Sherlock Holmes, a character like James Bond. I'm, Doctor Who is different these days, but we, I'm talking about a bunch of old smart white guys, I guess. But um, these hero characters, um, these inspirational characters, they have been around for decades, generations, lifetimes, you know, over a lifetime for a lot of these characters. Um, and I've realized that the appeal is that they will sort you out. They'll do right by you. They'll, they'll be, they'll, they'll, they'll help you. They'll pick you up when you're down. They will listen when no one else listens. But the other appeal about Sherlock Holmes and James Bond and Doctor Who and Superman is I'm 50. I, I hope I've got. All, I, I'm. I'm talking like I'm. You know, about to cark it. I'm. 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 I'm fine. Um, Doctor, uh, you know, Sherlock Holmes is going to be around long after I am. Long after anyone alive is now. Superman is. You know, um, uh, Bond probably is. You know, Doctor Who probably will be. I wouldn't rule out any of these people. Um, uh, they will be saving people and helping people and inspiring people, um, and they don't give up. And they are immortal, <laughs> and they are, um, they are, and they are, they help people, and they stop people from hurting, and they they will never ever give up on that. And it's like that's that is both incredibly inspiring, but also um, it's kind of up to us to, in the real world, up to us to kind of understand what that means, to understand that we have to help and that we have to. Um, not hurt people. <laughs> Start by not hurting people. Um, I, I was reading a. Um, a I'm going to quote it. I know. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I'll quote him by name. I, I, a friend of mine, a comedian friend of mine, has said that he has started to rate people by not how successful they are, and not how rich they are, and not how um, well thought of they are as a as a as a comedian. Um, he has started to um, just purely rate them by how kind they are how nice they are to the people around them. Um, and that's the best metric. You know, if you look at an actor who is kind to the person that brings him the coffee in the morning, or if you look at that actor and she's, she's the one that, that knows the name of the person's mother who's sick, you know, does what they can to help, you know, makes the phone call that, you know, um, help, you know, just phones them up and cheers them up, you know. Um, that is way more important in the long term than um, uh, this particular project that they're on at the moment, or um, how much money they make for the people that make the thing they're making. Um, um, and and I, I, I think I, I'm, I'm trying, to, trying to locally be kind, I'm trying to be nice to the people that I like, um, and, and um, 
be generous where I can be generous um, and, and help where I can help help encourage writers who I think um, to, like I say there's two 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 ways around for me I, I help help people express help everyone express themselves creatively um, but if I if I if I see a writer that I think is a good writer that I think has really got something and is really going to sort of go like just, just do what I can to guide them just sort of even if it's just pushing them at someone that can help them better than I can um, or, or just explaining what's possible or just explaining what might be might be a route through it, it, it just um, I think it's it's again I think the the, the I, I was taught um, and, and I, I had a, a good friendly good I wasn't, it's going to sound like I was in some weird weird sort of Gordon Gecko boot camp. But I, I was brought up in privately educated in the 1980s um, at a grammar school in Britain. Great education, wonderful, recommend it. If you got the, you know, if you um, recommend it. Um, but um, it was the 1980s. We were a bunch of guys. Um, half the people went off to work in, you know, some sort of finance um, or law or finance or something like that. And we were taught to kind of like win. And, and 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 dominate and win and, and conquer and and um, uh, uh, everything was territorial and everything was was um, you know about um, taking <laughs> you know and, and 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 to be you know and, and the, the way we resolved it and, then, and like I say it was we, I, I make it sound like I was like at some sort of smirch spectre kind of training camp I, I wasn't it was it was um, like, uh, like, like the beginning of From Russia with Love, or yeah, which one where uh, like the they're play, doing the, the training the, and they're placing yeah, we, them in the we, stomach. We, 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 yeah, we, we before we could before we could graduate, you had to kill one of our fellow classmates with a flamethrower. Yeah, um, no, it was um, uh, no, but but uh, and the the way we were, um, you know, the way we sort of squared the circle was like we were told, you know, to be kind and ethical, and and you know, be ethical at least, be be kind of like make sure you're using your great powers for good and not evil. You know, okay, go out there. Um, and uh, and it's not enough. It's not. It's not. It's not. Um, uh, it's not enough for us to conquer and rule benevolently as, you know, kind benevolent tyrants. You know, the, the problem is tyrants. You know, it's it's not. It's not about finding the the nice billionaire. It's like saying, well, why is someone a billionaire in the first place? You know, it's not. I'm not. I'm not begrudging. You know, I'm not. I am begrudging. Uh, I don't know why I'm saying I'm not begrudging. I am begrudging billionaires. Um, I, 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 I do not understand why you would not take all the resources that you, I, I have meager resources, but the meager resources I have, I try and help people with them. I will, I, I will, I will, I will do what I can. I am not claiming to be any moral, um, oh my God, I am not claiming to be any kind of like moral superman or, 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 or sort of ethical genius or anything like that. I, but I, but I think it is very very important to um be empathic it is very important to listen it is very important to um uh understand other people um under understand that you are not everyone um yeah uh being a being a writer is a great way to to do that you you, you end up you, you you end up just doing sort of weird little historical research and realizing that there are these sort of whole communities and whole kind of like historical enclaves and, and 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 systems that were just nothing like the way we live now and obviously if you're writing anything sort of science fictiony at all and anything in that kind of like science fantasy science fiction escapist kind of 
world uh, world at all. You're, you're you're creating. You have to sort of sit there and go, well, no one no one's going to have money in the future because why would you need money if you could just press a button and your a gold bar falls out? Why would you? Why would you? So what do they what do they do instead? You have to start thinking about how that kind of Star Trek world works, where right they turn and around and which, go, we're not which we're, we're, which forces you to to start examining how our yeah. world works yeah, today, yeah, yeah, as, no, as you're yeah, describing. Yeah, 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 and, and, and you just have to start thinking it in terms of systems and how it would, yeah. how it would work logically. And I think, that's, again, that's a lot of what Alan Moore is doing, is, is 100%. going, well, how, how would superheroes work? How, how would it work in a world where, you know, um, there are guys that can, you know, travel at the speed of light and see the future and, and, and all of these things? How, how would that change the world? And, and the most dreary and depressing um the most dreary and depressing thing i find about the the marvel movies um uh, which i'm not i'm not this thing and oh my god they're mass entertainment everyone loves them but i'm not but but the idea that what you have in a world with the avengers in it where you have the a norse god and a, a sort of mechanical man armor suit that can fly and you know, uh, 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 this sort of absolute physical human perfection Captain America guy that can do anything a human body can do or whatever. Um, the idea that you would have this sort of set of skills and people and um, uh, science, you know, all the science that, that the, the way that they can explore, you know, they can jump in a spaceship and explore the universe. The idea that they can go home and the world looks just like this world, I mean, that's so depressing. Right, you know, right. it's just extraordinary. You can just about get away with it in Doctor Who. The the, the, the most in interesting. Doctor Who, you have a character holding the line, but in, right. in the Marvel movies, the most interesting thing to me in in maybe all the Marvel movies is the last Avengers, Avengers Endgame. There was about a ten minute section in there that was about grief, that was yeah. about loss. Yeah. In no, the middle I, I, of you know the biggest movie ever made, and I thought does, that was fantastic. It, it does, and, and these these moments are always kind of like yeah, these, these are the things. And it's, again, it's, it's it's the Valerie section for the Avengers. Mm -hmm. I think yeah. the reason it, one of the reasons that's powerful is you are really not expecting that at that point in the story. Yep. And there are bits I, I know I know people don't like the Star Wars prequels, but there's there's just a bit in Revenge of the Sith where they just stop, and Padme and Anakin are on the other side of opposite sides of the city, and the city is on fire. And we just watch the city on fire for they hold it for like I think 90 seconds or something. Um, and it and it's just this very weird art house move in a CG cityscape that it's just not the expected move in that in that in that moment in that story. And you and it just hits. Right. For some right. reason, it's for some reason it's like it's not all of the sort of kinetic battles and all of the explosions and all of the kind of like seeing all the little CG people exploding and dying, it doesn't matter all that much but this sort of quiet moment where you just sort of realize that it's gone the thing they this sort of like wonderful amazing science fiction city for the first prequel is just gone it's it's lost yeah it um, and, 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 and we know nice what's, if, we know what's coming and we know that it's you know if, if if more of that was done and less of the you know let's blow shit up real good let me I, let, I, let me end yes. on on two things one i want to just 100 percent co-sign your your idea and your friend's idea of let's judge people by kindness. And I, I also, the, the way that I think about it and the way I've explained it to people is I judge people by how kind you are to someone who can do nothing for you. It's easy to be exactly. kind 
yes, someone exactly. who you're trying to get a job from, but yeah, someone yeah. who, who if, if there's a power dynamic where, you know, it's unequal and you're on the, uh, on the um, unequal side where you have more power or just in general in life, meeting someone who you're never going to see again or interacting with someone who you're never going to see again, how do they how you, do they treat the how do they treat the server at the, at the exactly you know it's okay how, let me let me ask you yeah. one final question totally random i, I forget why oh, i came okay. up with this but um you mentioned something <laughs> that sparked it in me do you think we're ever going to see neil gaiman's miracle man story to to completion <laughs> i don't know i you know i honestly don't know what the the delay is on this. I don't know the sort of inside. It's been held up for like two years. I'm dying. It, well, no, it's not been held up for two years. It's been held up for like 35 of this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, I mean it, it was, it Marvel was, was, finally uh, started reprinting this, the they Silver did, Age. And but, I, and I, and, I and, and, and you have the, like I say, the problem you have with Neil Gaiman is Neil Gaiman is incredibly successful and can go off and do lots of other stuff. And um, I, I don't know if the script's written. I don't know what the situation is with that. Um, it, it is, um, I can't imagine that any of the parties to it kind of don't want it published in in, in some form. So I, I don't know that any sort of inside gossip of why it would do. Um, what I would say as someone, I, I think if you sit these things out long enough, because um, I, I, I remember growing up thinking, well, we're never going to see Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy movie. We're never going to see a, another Star Wars movie. You know, we're never going to see a, a you know, um, well, any of these things. You're never going to see a female-led action movie. You're never going to see it. You know, any any of these things. I mean, um, if you sit around long enough um, in the, in the year of in the world of franchises and and um, immortal, you know, heroes, um, it will happen sooner or later. I, I I think I think the question you're asking is, will we see it in our lifetime? <laughs> um, uh, I think Neil Gaiman. Well, I think Neil Gaiman is older than we are. So he's about ten years. He's, he's not yeah. much older. He's like ten yeah. years older. I think, and I think. It could be in a box somewhere, so it could just be pulled out. It could be. It, I think it would be really suspicious if it like comes out the week after he dies. I think that right. might be. Uh, right. might, that might that might be a bit suspicious. I'm always a little right. bit suspicious, but it's like uh, the kill, you, to kill a mockingbird the, sequel that was published. Yeah, I know, right? There's a whole bunch of yeah. Suddenly, suddenly, it turns out there's that, that they got like they wrote two books in their lifetime, and it turns out they've got like yeah. eight eight back, in a back, drawer back to something. corporations and money. That's all yeah, we understand. Yeah, exactly. Lance, this has been a real treat. Yes, and I really enjoyed it. Thank let you. me just throw an idea out to you. What I'd love to do maybe next month sometime, you know, you pick sort of a lesser, quote unquote, yeah, lesser known right. work of Alan Moore. Right. I'll pick one. Um, and, and let's just do a deep dive into one or two works. I, I think that would be interesting. I think that would be fantastic. And, and, and yeah, give me, give me notice. I think, I, oh, I think about a note. If you had told me about Smacks, um, I'd, uh, I'd have I'd have uh, I'd have uh, boned up on Smacks and uh, and I'd yeah. really, well, really, really the, the the one I'm already thinking Smacks. of is the um is the prose piece that he wrote about the the first no the second Iraq War, mm. um, which uh, you mm. know starts with something along the lines of you know what do you Alan Moore's like here's a joke what, joke for you what do you what do you call um, you know, an Iraqi boy holding his leg that's just been blown off on the TV. And he's like, I don't know. I was too busy screaming at the TV. Like it's just, mm -hmm. yeah. it, and then he just dissects in, in almost real time. This is maybe a year after, less than a year after the war started, which is now 18 years old. Um, I, I just think, dissects I, I think, the whole thing. I think we're going to start to see, I think with the Bloomsbury deal that he's just signed, I think we're going to start to see a lot more attention on his prose 
Yeah. Um, he, he has written a lot of prose. If you, if you, I've, I've not read Voice of the Fire or Jerusalem because I'm just, I'm half saving them. And no, I'm no, no. The, the, the problem with it is, the problem is you could start reading a lot more stuff now. There's just so much of it. Yeah. Um, uh, there is so much prose. Um, and, I, and, I, and if you just stripped away all the comics, all, all everything, and just left the prose, you would go, this is a prolific prose writer. This is a guy that writes so many essays. Right. This is a guy that writes so many poems and so many kind of, um, you know, articles and, 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 and short stories and things like that. Um, and I, I think we're going to start to see a sort of reorientation of yeah. what people, and it'd be, what people it'd be think. It'd be nice to get a good collection of all of that, because it's all, you know, it's all out of print and all over the place and all of that. I... I, I, I uh, I, I mentioned this at the launch. He wasn't interested. I, uh, other people have mentioned it to him that he wasn't interested. I, now that there's a Bloomsbury deal and a publisher, I, I would love to have some sort of like. I, I, there is there is a there is a whole beautiful library shelf of leather bound collected Alan Moore prose things that that would um, be, yeah. be really interesting to read. Um, potentially could exist I, I i think an anthology of that kind of stuff would, would be extraordinarily easy to you know it's extraordinarily easy to compile i, and I, create, I feel like we're alive when when shakespeare was alive and we recognize his I, genius and we're like hey will you should you should collect some of this stuff he's like yeah i'm on the next thing <laughs> I, I i'm i'm always worried about that kind of comparison mainly because we just get it wrong the other way i think i think right. if you if you'd have said you know this v vendetta is going to be taught in university courses in 40 right, years people, right. people are like no <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, but um but yeah i i i think there is something about uh, i think what what i would say about alan moore is i think i think they'll be reading alan moore in 100 years time i think i really do i i, I i'm not saying that because I, I i don't read anything other than alan moore i'm reading it because i know uh, like i say there are, there are there are writers from the 90s huge huge booker prize winning writers from the 90s you've not heard at all in the last 20 years, never not heard the name. Yeah. Um, I, I think in a hundred years' time, people are going to be reading Alan Moore stuff. I agree. Um, I have no idea what that Alan Moore stuff would be. I, I think I think I think I think it is entirely possible that a hundred years' time, you know, if we if we woke, if we did a sort of thing, you know, yeah. this is, this as long as it's we, not as vigilante stories and the killing it, it, joke and, and I, I can no, I can absolutely I can absolutely believe that you wake up in a thousand years' time and you're a cryogenically right. frozen, they'll turn around and go, You were preserved because you were the guy that pointed out that Smacks was like this classic. Um, and, and I think I, I, Smacks I can really is so see, good. I know I can I can see it being that like people go, the guy that wrote Voice of the Fire and Smacks, yeah. Right. Um, uh, <laughs> so I, so I don't know what I don't know what they'd read, but I, I, I am there is so much in there that will um, either be so specific to his time that people will read it to go, this is what people were like in 1990, or this is what Northampton was like in the early 21st century, whatever. Um, and, and there are sort of big themes there, and big classic themes. So he's hugely influential now on this kind of like reimagined superhero. Yeah. But, or, or, and on things like Lost and, and Battlestar Galactica. They're, 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 they yeah. keep pimping his, his actual work out, you know, with yeah. HBO series and blah, blah, yeah. blah. Yeah, but but all of those people are, are doing that. I, this is the problem: is that all of these people are doing it out of love. They are they are comics mm, fans who mm-hmm. who loved that. Who, who the same, you know? They 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 read it when they were fifteen, and it, it, that's why they're a writer. Yeah. So if someone says to them, "Do a thing about the Joker," "Do a thing about Watchmen," "Do a thing," you know, they're going to go, "Yeah, this is great," because this yeah. is. Um, it's it's paying homage, but it's also paying homage to someone who's like, "I don't want yeah. you to pay homage to that." <laughs> I got screwed so, no, out of that. Uh, 
Yeah. No, no. Yeah. Well, well, yeah. Lance, this has been yeah, fantastic. Absolutely. Please tell everybody where they can find you and find your work. Uh, oh, God. Um, <laughs> or, or should uh, I tell them for you? you? Please, please do. <laughs> I, I, LanceParkin.org. Um, Okay, right. thank you. Oh, God, we I, have that. I always forget. I, I always forget. I've got a blog. Yeah. And at um, Parkin. <laughs> at Parkin Lance on Twitter. So LanceParkin.org for his website and I am, Parkin yes. Lance uh, and 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 all good and most terrible bookstores as well. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, that, 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 there's plenty of stuff if you if you if you type. I have a I have a beautiful do. There's actually three. There's three Lance Parkin. Sorry. For, okay. Just, one more time. There's a Lance Parkin in Philadelphia who writes horror stuff that um that um i sound like i suppose not not my accent but um I, I, people might think that's me i guess um uh, and there's a lance parkin who runs a winery in australia and and my mum friended that lance parkin thinking it was me and and it's literally things like the kangaroos at my grape harvest this year and uh, and and it's, it's never mind my, my the grape, photo my, my great my grape harvest is going to be and and she was like you got me into candy crush and I was like, I've never, I don't even know, I'm not entirely sure I know what Candy Crush is. Um, and, and she said, well, you, 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 you recommended it on Facebook. And I'm like, oh, no, come on. But even though there are three of, three of me in the world, oh my God, sorry. Yeah, that's, that's, everyone that knows me just went, oh my God, three of it. Um, even though there are three Lance Parkins in the world, um, it's not that difficult to Google me and find me and do that kind of stuff. Just, so, just, um, just so. don't friend the one who likes Candy Crush. Friend the one. Oh no, no, he's. Dr. I'm sure he's wonderful. I'm sure he's yeah. wonderful. I've not, yeah. I've not drunk the wine. I, I'm sure it's wonderful. Perhaps, perhaps, perhaps we'll both get a crate of his wine. Yes, perhaps we'll That's get. Right. Perhaps we we'll out. Perhaps we we'll get a box of crate, crate of wine now because because we, uh, yeah, go to the Lance Parkin Winery. Of South and, and one, it's, one final shout, shout out: the the biography yeah. of Alan Moore that we've talked about is Magic Words: The Extraordinary Life of Alan Moore. Can't recommend it highly enough. I am very proud of that book. I, I, I am. I have a very high opinion of my own work, and and um, and and I am. I, 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 I generally speaking, do think I'm kind of. I, I, I enjoy myself, and I enjoy reading reading back my work, and and it's it's a terrible character flaw. The Alan Moore book, I think, is is the thing I'm proudest of. I think it's it's a thing where I, I was able to get a lot of things together and and um, make a sort of quite an important. Oh God, no! Sorry, I'm sorry. This no, is what other people say. This is what it's, it's, it is literally. I, 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 the... I, 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 it is a book that I, I very much enjoyed writing. That I think uh, I had a really. Sam Harrison was a fantastic, fantastic editor at Aram. Um, Sam, Sam, Jessica Papa, my my. Uh, this is an Oscar speech now. Jessica Papa, my agent, was 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 wonderful arranging it. Um, it it was um, it was a thing where. It came together and it felt like being a writer and it was wonderful and there was a, a West End book launch with Alan Moore showing up to it and 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 uh, um, it, I, I I I I think the book the book does what it set up to do I I think if you read it you'll sort of you get a, a good take on Alan Moore and I I think the highest compliment that you, you you'd be able to pay pay me on that is is if if you read that book and checked out a couple of the Alan Moore things and and and, and saw what I'm writing about see what see what so it comes to, I think, I think that that would be the, that's how I win, I guess. That's how I, that's how I conquer and dominate in my Gordon, Gordon Gecker Spectre way. While, while being kind, everybody. <laughs> while being kind, yeah. I'll go off and be kind and, 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 and dominate. Kind. So ladies and gentlemen, please <laughs> go out to your, to your local bookstore, your independent bookstore, or if you must on Amazon and get Magic Words, Extraordinary Life of Alan Moore. Fantastic writing, fantastic book. 
Um, fantastic introduction to the work of Moore. And if you're a Moore fan, like Lance and I are, fantastic um, at just you know giving you more information about, about Alan Moore. So Lance, thank you so much. This has been a real treat. Thank you. I don't envy you editing it down. <laughs> no, no, I'm not. I'm not going to edit anything. This is just oh, going okay. out to the world. Just, just it's the beauty of podcast. Yeah. Oh, great. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. So I, I don't envy you as, you. as you come to the end of this, whatever it is, two and a half hour, three hour session, gentle listener. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening this far. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's my mom and your mom and Alan Moore's mom. You know, I'm sure she's passed on, but but uh, that's that, that might be the trio that makes it to the end. But yes, Alan Moore's not, Alan Moore's not on the Internet. So this is just literally me and you. OK, <laughs> it was nevertheless, you know, nevertheless. Yes. Thank you very much. Indeed. It's been great. Thank you, Lance. Thank you. This has been Benbo's podcast, my conversation with Lance Parkin, and look for a follow-up episode a few weeks from now where Lance and I do a deep dive into one or two works of Alan Moore. You can find all of my work at benbo.substack.com, benbo.substack.com, and please subscribe to this podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. Have a great day.